intro, what we've been working on, games we played, um, book recaps real quick. And we are back. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the show. I am your fill-in assistant co uh, backup tech guy, Jacob Berry, and with me, as always, I've got the man of the hour, the man of the day, week and century, Joseph M. Pagano. I think that was, like, the weakest intro you've ever given for me, and if you keep it up, I'm going to not give you the credit for this internship. But, but I need, how am I going to graduate from my associate's I, 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 degree? I, I don't care. I don't care. That's true. It's not care. your problem. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. Did you want it. more coffee? Yes. Okay. Go get it. I don't. I can't reach. <laughs> uh, huh. All right. Yeah. So we're back, dude. Welcome back. Welcome back. We we survived LVO. We survived the the three weeks of ridiculous weather and back spasms. Yeah. And we're back. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm actually my hangover just went away yesterday. <laughs> oh, I still like my ears are still ringing, and I think I still got a bit of crud in my lungs. Yeah, I'm like sick for the third time since LVO today. Like I, I got a cold. So, but it it has been crazy weather in New York, dude. We just had a bunch of snow yesterday. Now there's no snow left. It's like 45. Tomorrow will be 10. <laughs> you know how it goes. That sounds awful. Yeah. Well, what have you been working on in the hobby? What have you been up to? I've been painting um some Stormcast Eternal models, not because. Ooh. I needed a good ally for Deepkin, so I just went with naturally the most gamey, powerful unit I could. So ten evocators, four hundred points, fill slot perfectly. Hell yeah! Yeah. So and are you are you doing all with the uh, the hand weapon and staff? Are you going half and half? You going all big staffs? I'm going all blades. There you go. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Getting the getting the rend and getting the extra attacks is always good. Yeah, especially because oh, we'll talk about my list later for. Uh, Adepticon. The Adepticon prep. Yeah. So we've got a pretty exciting show for you guys. What about you, today? dude? What about your uh, hobby? You just totally skipped yourself. Yeah, I mean, usually I skip you. you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's rubbing off. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. I'm pretty sure purchases count as hobby. So I've done a lot of hobby. I have purchased two Skaven halves of the Carrion Empire, Ooh. and I purchased five Warp Lightning Cannon slash Plague Claw Catapult kits so that I can have up to four of either one of them, uh, and a bunch of Clan Rats and Plague Priests, and I haven't bought the Vermin Lords yet, but I think I'm on this, this Skaven train. I'm not going to have them done anytime soon. I'm going to take my time like I always do with an army and then still end up painting the night before the tournament. Yeah. Uh, but I, as soon as I listened to the Facehammer review where they talk through the book, I was just, I was 100% sold. Like, this army sounds really powerful, really fun, and there's so many ways you can build it. There's a lot of internal balance in the book until you look at a couple units that are just unbelievably good. Uh, but... Like you, it's almost like you can't build a bad list in there because there's so many cool options and cool things you can do. So it's just been a lot of fun building lists. Uh, I have gotten a little more detail work done on my Stormcast, and I did buy a like a um, a picture frame to use as a as the the base for my display board. And then someone talked me out of doing a display board. So I'm sorry. I'm, it's all right. I'm just gonna probably do the realm of battle board for Adepticon. Yeah. Um, because I still have to finish all my Stormcast, and realistically, I'm not. I haven't made enough progress yet to, to justify starting on my display board. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. I think that's the best bet. I mean, I was the one to talk to you out of building a display board. Right. It was. It was you. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, what I'm getting from the Skaven talk, dude, is you're tired of going three and two. No, honestly, I, I'm. No. Happy no. No. <laughs> no. No. Uh, I'm actually pretty happy going three and two because you know when I went three and two at at LVO, I lost to this almost the exact same army list. The difference was like a couple Bulgors here and a couple Bestigor there, but I lost to overwhelming number of bodies with with my Stormcast, and I felt like I played well and had a good time with them. And I'm planning to play them for at least the end of this tournament season. My goal is sort of maybe to have the Skaven ready for the Rage of Sigmar World Tour. Ooh, so I like have that's a lot of it's that. a lot of models to fly around the world with. Well, yes, but I may also just put all my clan rats or plague monks into a Tupperware because they're garbage and that's their job is to be garbage. And then I actually have like the nice models in a case or something like that. I actually, <laughs> I I was looking online at pelican cases. And I was like, I was like, I could get one of these. I could spend like a thousand dollars on this case, and then I could check my army because it's a fucking pelican case. And then I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> I am not, I'm not buying this case. <laughs> like, <laughs> could you imagine if like Len was like, where, what is that? I was like, oh, it's my new case for my models. How much was it? Eight hundred dollars, and I have to buy foam still from Battle Foam, <laughs> and another eighty bucks right there. But, it's an awful idea. Yeah, so I did buy foam um, for Adepticon because I liked my Magnarak. I liked it a lot with flying to LVO, but um, TSA sucks, and they just fucking yeah. toss my shit around. And no matter how strong the magnets are, things are going to break. Yeah, and, how much uh, break did you have for LVO? A bunch of them already broke. Like I, no. I mean, like maybe six, seven swords, shit like that. Yeah, Hard stuff to fix. I've, uh, the icon on my turtle is gone. Uh, oh, one of this. It- what color is it painted? Green. I have it. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, found, I found it on a table. I was like setting up. I was like, that looks like Joe's paint scheme. That looks like an icon, but all of his Namardi have bone, so the one with the icon from his Namardi would have bone. I'm just going to grab this just in case. It's <laughs> that's great. awesome. It's definitely sitting downstairs. <laughs> no, that's great. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that was uh, off the, the banner on the turtle. All right, well, I'll give it to you at Adepticon. Sick. Yeah, I'll probably lose it on my way back. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I, I bought foam for my my case because I'm yeah. I'm taking um my aspect to the sea and I really like the way that all came out and he's so fucking spindly, yeah, you know and like the way he mounts to his base is like five pins of plastic that drop into the boat and shit and if you break those that guy's you're, you're what are you gonna do you know what I mean so um pretty much my plan is to uh to just keep that guy safe as possible. So, um, that makes sense. Have you played any games in the last three weeks? No, I tried to get a game in with... uh thought you played your buddy Mark. No, I did play Mark. Shit, yeah. We played a game um, probably like a week or two after LVO. He uh, actually played a game on um, President's Day because I had the day off for the holiday. And uh, we he played his Disciples of Zinch. He had... Pretty much the same list he always brings because he hasn't really bought more new stuff. So uh, he had two units of pink horrors, big block of Zangors, Zangor Coven. So he had Unlightened on disc and uh, Skyfires and uh, a Shaman on disc and yeah. a Lord of Change. The same list he's been playing. Yeah, same list. Still borrowing endless spells he never cast. Yeah. And we played... Uh, as long as he's paying points for him. That's all that matters, right? Yeah. He. What did he, what did he play, though? What, what 
I can't remember what scenario we played. Wasn't it uh, uh, Places of Arcane Power? or It wasn't Poab. It was Places of Power. Or Places of... Three Places of Power? No, there was or, only uh, two uh, objectives. Duality of Death. Was it Duality of Death? No, I didn't play the game. <laughs> let me <laughs> let me check my text so I can tell you. <laughs> oh, sorry. It was the one where only a hero or behemoth can hold one of two objectives. Yeah, that's definitely Duality of Death. So we're playing Duality of Death. And I... Round one... He gives me first turn, so I just like mm-hmm. teleport my soul scryer on a one objective. But he won. He won deployment, didn't he? Yeah, of course. But he gave me okay. first turn. Yeah. Because Mark, like I, I tell him after every game, like your biggest mistake is you're not aggressive enough in this game, dude. Like he's like he doesn't want he's first active because he's afraid he's gonna make the wrong move. Uh, it's more that he wants to like to use his spells first turn, and I'm like yeah. I can't use any of my spells first turn. I'll worry about them in second turn. First turn, yep. I'm gonna get on some objectives and score some points. Yep. So I just like cast Steed of Tides with my Soul Scryer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. my Tidecaster, and move my Soul Scryer into one objective, and then flew my Aspect of the Sea onto the other. And first and turn, did you put anything around your Soul Scryer? Anything yeah. to protect? I put my eels right in front of them. <laughs> like, oh, whatever, <laughs> they're gonna die too. And then, um, so pretty much the game went down where I, uh, I got this new like plan to play my Deepkin is that I'm gonna try and get this the prayer off that lets my idolins re-roll uh, failed hits and wounds and re-roll casting. Okay. And then uh, with the Soul Scryer and the Tidecaster next to each other by a boat, I only need a six to get that off. It's pretty reasonable. So um, I'm going to do... Uh, that's like my plan. I'm going magic heavy, which is kind of rough because the idolin has really short spell ranges for the spells yeah. I want to use. Yeah. So uh, it is what it is kind of thing. You know what I mean? Maybe I need to put a spell portal in there somehow. Yeah. But then you only I'm get a- one use a turn. And it, it can come back to bite you because they can cast out of it also. Yeah. And also, it it's points that I don't really have in my list. Yeah. You're already pretty short on points. Anyway, so you you got the soul scribe, you got the idol on the other one. Mm-hmm. And then I scored those points, and then round two, his turn, he killed the fuck out of my, all my eels and the Soul Scryer, but I was already yeah. ahead on one point, and then he stuck his Lord of Change on that objective. Mm-hmm. And you can't leave the objective. Right. So he kind of... That's where he messed up. Where well, I messed up, too, really, because I shouldn't have had my my aspect of the sea sitting on an objective. He needed to be out there doing stuff, and then he just wasn't yeah. doing anything the whole game. So he was just sitting there, scoring your points. Yeah, so I went ahead by one point, and then I just sat... Just ground at each other. My evocators did some cool shit. And you killed the rest of his heroes, right? Aside from the Lord of Change? Uh, he had a... He... When it came down to turn three, he had, like, a chance to, like, pretty much... If he could... He got he got a charge off where he could have got his uh, enlightened in and killed... Possibly killed my Eidolon. Yeah. But it was my turn three. So it's like, I still swing first, and he would have been surrounded by Namarty that could pile in... And fight. And fight. Also. Yeah, so it's just and like. And damage too. Yeah. And then also, my Eidolon could swing too. Yeah. So. So it was looking rough for him. Yeah, so that's when we called it. Okay. Uh, he wasn't. he. I had like 30 Namartis still around my Eidolon. Yeah. And he, he had no more Zangors left. He had one unit of horrors left. He had his Lord of Change who couldn't leave the objective. Yeah, so he wasn't going to get that objective off you. And. You I were one ahead, and you guys were scoring at the same rate. Yeah. So there was really no way for him to uh, to catch up to me. Nice. So he conceded? 
it was turn three. It was just like we could just kill each other's models and waste all this time, or we could call the game. No, yeah, and did he did he go straight to eBay with his with his collection after that? No, no, he's actually uh, I handed I won a box of Carrick Acolytes at that event I went to in Brooklyn. Yep. So the the one you took number two at the largest Age of Sigmar tournament in all of Brooklyn. Yeah, the fourteen man Age of Sigmar tournament. It was awesome. So yeah. I, I gave him those, and he's like, I don't know what I'll do with these. He's like, Oh, they make cheap chaff. You know, they're not that expensive. It gives you options if nothing else. And there's twenty of them in a box, so. Oh, snap. I didn't realize there were that many. Um, that, I feel like I might be incorrect, but I'm going to check it right now. pretty sure. I always thought it was 10, but it could be 20. I know they come in units of 10, so you're giving them basically two battle line units for for free. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Sweet. So I played... I ran a demo game for some friends at work, Hannah, Hunter, and Kyle. And that was a lot of fun, but I didn't really set them up to succeed. I gave... I had two of them play on Team Hannah and Hunter played together with Stormcast. Yeah. They each had like three or four units. And then there was supposed to be a fourth person playing, so Kyle would have been on a team with this other person, and uh, they were going to be playing my corn. But the other person did make it, so Kyle was playing 1,500 points of corn by himself, and it had like a battalion with gore pilgrims in it. And I think it was just too many moving parts to manage at once. So that wasn't a super successful demo game. Plus we played... Uh, Star Strike or Starfall, oh, yeah, which it's... is a really fun scenario. The problem is, Hannah and Hunter deployed in a certain way. They deployed sort of to the center and to the right, and then all three objectives fell to the left, where where Kyle had his his two Bloodthirsters. And so even if if like the Stormcast were able to slog all the way across the board, they wouldn't have got there in time to do anything with it. Oh, yeah, so, rough. and that was what I was afraid of. I sort of thought that playing that element of randomness could make it a lot of fun. But then it ended up being sort of they just fought and learned the rules and didn't actually compete over the scenario that much. But I think they had still had a good time, and that's the Hannah that was asking us about the how to make lists with nice tiggle biddies. That's pretty cool. So how did you feel about her first game at Age of Sigmar afterwards? Uh, I think she was really engaged. I think she's she's into it. She's probably gonna try to make that eel list that we talked about and convert up the the ladies on that side, and then also. Um, like, she's into the hobby aspect. I think she wants to play. She already goes to cons with her family and gets super drunk. So, like, she she's already one of us. She just doesn't know it yet. That's awesome. That's good. Good. Awesome. And then uh, the other two guys probably aren't going to get into it because of the investment and the time. Neither of them is, is super in, interested in, like, the hobby side of it. Um, one of them, Hunter, was he talked about maybe wanting to to, to play the rats. And I bought all this, this game and I was talking about... I bought them thinking, if he wants them, great. He can just pay me what I paid for him. If he doesn't, that's cool, because I definitely do want them. Um, so, either way, it's a win-win. I had a good time. I don't know how much fun I actually have running demo games, where it's like people playing against each other, but I'm going to keep doing it to try to grow the scene. I'm actually running another one a week from Tuesday. So that nice. should be fun. Another couple of coworkers. I'm only going to give them 1,000 points each and some simpler units, but it should be fun. No battalions. I tried to turn down the rules as much as possible. So that's going to be good. I also did play a game. Uh, David uh, Minotaur, Handsome Dave, had a, a little game day at his house a week ago. And I got to play against a friend of his who's relatively new to the game. He basically just has two starter boxes of the, the Stormcast set and three evocators on cats. And a unit of 20 sequiturs, which is cool. Uh, cool. And we played... Is it focal points, four objectives? 
No, uh, total commitment. There's four objectives, and you have to deploy everything on the table. So we we had a really good time. I definitely took off all his toys, and uh, he actually made the game more competitive than it seemed like it was going to be the first couple of turns because he did take one of my objectives off of me. But then I wiped other units of his, and it wasn't too close. I mean, I'm playing a pretty finely tuned competitive and like it's not a top tier competitive list but it's a strong competitive list if you know how to use it it's also one and that you use like at a couple game. tournaments yeah like you have way more experience playing that list yeah than... and I think I think we both knew going in like it was going to be a mismatch in terms of experience and the lists sort of just justified that and then on top of that I was rolling out of my mind it was it was one of those days where you're just like I'm sorry dude I, I apologize that I just hit 10 out of 10 5 ups it's one of those days yeah that's crazy. Um, but that was fun. You know, winning makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> so so that was fun. I just, you know, punched him and, and told him he sucked at the game and he should quit. Yeah. All right. So that's all for what we've both been working on and games we've played. Real quick, I want to give you guys a, a bit of a, an outline of what to expect from today's episode because today's episode is a little bit different. So we are going to do a little overview of the Skaven and Feck books. Um, there's better coverage out there, but it's always fun to give a little update on what we think and what we see and how we see the books. So we're going to do a short overview, maybe like a top five or a winners, losers, and missed opportunities sort of deal. And then we're actually going to cut to an interview I did with Reese Robbins, who is the head of Frontline Gaming, who was also involved in, well, he ran and like is the progenitor of the LVO and the ITC. And I got to ask him some fun questions about how they run their 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 events, where they got their code of conduct, why they kicked out Mike Hendrell and Michael Vaginos from their tournament, uh, and it was overall just a, a good time. Then we're going to come back after that, and we're going to talk a little bit about Adepticon, because we are, it is March 3rd right now, and Adepticon is officially three weeks away, and it's time to get very hype. It's so we're going to talk list expectations. Three weeks away? Three and a half weeks away. I'm leaving on a Wednesday. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So I, I guess it's four weeks for you. It's like three yeah. weeks and two days for me. Yeah, it's uh, one week, two week, three week. Yeah, it's, it's almost four weeks for me. It's it's, But three week, weekends from now, we will be at Adepticon. No, we won't. Oh, my God, we will. No, we won't. Three Ten. week. 10th, 17th, four, 24th. Yeah, there you go. Are three weekends between now and when we're going to be there. Yeah, there we go. Cool. I can math. All right, so on that note, we're going to start talking about the new Feck and Skaven releases. Joe, do you want to talk about your thoughts, your early thoughts on the Feck book? All right, I think the new Feck book is... I mean, everyone knows that it's really good. Nothing really changed that much, right? If you look at, like, the points values, only, Mm -hmm. what, one thing... A couple things went up, a couple things went down, but nothing that's, like... Oh my god, look at that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What do, let me look at it real quick. Uh, one new model, the Arch Regent. He's 200 mm-hmm. points, and he's worth 200 points easily. Easily. And then you have the Ghoul King. Went up a little bit, right? The, yeah. It used to be a little less than that. Crypt Gas Courtier went down. Haunter Courtier went down. Infernal Courtier went down. Vargolf stayed the same. Yeah. And then Ghoul King on Terrorgeist and Zombie Dragon stayed the same. Crypt Flares went up 10 points. Crypt Horrors stayed the same. And then, hey, do you want to read... Can you read every unit entry and if it went up or down? Sure. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm done. <laughs> Good. Cool. I, I'm, sure, right. I'm sure no one cares about any of this shit because they already know this, but... Right, but 
But I would love to hear what you think are the the major outliers in terms of strength or missed opportunities or what's 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 hot, what's not. Okay, so here's what I think. I think people are going to be very tempted to run one of the grand courts because they're good, especially yep. the gr- gristle whore because you're, I mean gristle gore because you're like, oh, I could take six terror geists and that's my army because yep. the fact said that you lose the behemoth keyword if they're running as so, battle line. Yeah. Yes, that's fucking awful. Anyway, I love it. I think it's great, especially how many, because... How many terror guys have you ordered? I have... I own one... I have one zombie dragon, one terror guys built. Uh-huh. And I have another terror guys on sprue. So I just need... Uh-huh. I need more. <laughs> anyway, um, but I think if you don't run a grand court, you could do some pretty fucking ridiculous shit, too. Like what? Um, well, this is Tony Pacheco, and I talked about this. Um... You just run as a crusading army for your first turn. Is that the one that gives you plus one to run and charge? Uh, add one to run and charge, yeah. And then okay. you take your uh, completely delusional as your abhorrence uh, command trait. So once for battle, you can change it, your delusion. And then you just oh, okay. you just choose its feast day because you get freeding frenzy for no point once per turn. So you're saying first turn, you give yourself plus one to run and charge. You probably cast that spell because you're out of range of, of unbind where you... Either give them fly, or you give them run and charge if they already do fly. Or you give them plus D3 attacks, and you cast, you use someone else to cast cogs. Oh, gross. Oh, gross, yeah. Yep. So you're looking at, like, move 16, move 17, crit flares. Now, he used it on, I think Tony did it with 20 ghouls, because 20 ghouls have 3 attacks apiece, plus D3 gross. with the spell, and then they're like, plus 3 move, plus mm-hmm. 3 to charge. I feel like it's a wasted opportunity to use it on ghouls. Like, don't get me wrong, ghouls are fine. They have a lot of attacks, but they're not high-value attacks. I've, or maybe he used it on a, a Terrorgeist or something, because his list, the list that he ran was like, uh, dude on Terrorgeist, dude on... I think two dudes on Terrorgeist? Oh, I don't know, whatever it was. It's insane, because you do that, and then you have all your other buffs that are fucking nuts. Yeah, and then, so, turn one, you do that. Turn two... In your hero phase, you just switch it to Feeding Frenzy, so you're going to get one... Or, I'm sorry, Feast Day. So you're going to get one free Feeding Frenzy a turn. Yes. And I know that, in terms of points, that's we're saying it's basically saving you 50 points a turn, because you're not spending a command point per turn. Yeah, but I also, mean, you're using nuts. it... Now you're using it twice per turn on two different units instead of using it right. on one. And if you run it with, like, the Aether Quartz brooch or something like that, where you're... You're also getting a chance to wrestle those those command points and getting to do it on a second or third unit. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, uh, my my plan list is going to be blister skin because that hellish orator is a free command point on a four plus. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. And then also, I like I'm going to run a lot of crypt flares. Mm-hmm. So with all that together, it's like it makes sense to run them as battle line. But. Uh, there's a lot of really brutal shit in this book. So, and what also is nice about this book, like when you compare it to the Skaven, two newest books besides it is Skaven and uh, Moon Clan, right? Yeah. Um, or Gloomspite, excuse me. They have a huge selection of things where you're like, oh my god, what am I going to fit in this list? Flesh Eater Courts are so few choices. It's not, you don't really have to go like, what, how do I, it's like, I know what I'm going to fit in this list. I'm yeah. either going to play it this way or this way or this way. There's only four kits plus the arch region in the whole line for models, right? Yeah. Ghouls, Horrors, Flares, Zombie Dragon, Terror Yeah, Zombie Dragon, Terror Geist, Arch Region. So that's it. Four. 
Yep. Jesus, that's nothing. Oh, uh, Vargolf is five. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Vargolf is five. No one buys Vargolfs. I have three of them, though, so... I think they're cool, and, like, especially because you can summon them up, and they, they're really good around the king on Terrorgeist, or the king on Zombie Dragon. I uh, know they're they're good everywhere. It's, I no, think no, it, but don't I they get it's... to reroll if they're within range of him and reroll something else if he cast a spell and they buff. They feed on dark magic, so they get. I think they get more attacks. I'm actually flipping to their thing because I have a book. Isn't it crazy? You're really ruining our reputation here. Having yeah. books and knowing rules—that's not—that's not our gig. Yeah, if you get you get to reroll hit rolls for this model if uh, someone within 18, an abhorrent within 18 casts a spell. And doesn't he have something else where like he gets a reroll? Based on being near the king, um, king's champion add two to tax characteristic with its claws. If there's more than ten enemy models within three of him, oh, there you go. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you could be adding two, and then if you cast the Archregion spell on him, you're adding D three to all the attacks. Yeah. Plus, if you do the the normal abhorrent king, you add one to all attacks. So he's looking at a lot of attacks. Yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty nasty. I would say that um, for 160 points, he can be a pretty good blender. I think considering that my like what the list that I'm planning on running is a, a an arch regent and a guy on uh, zombie dragon, mm-hmm. I could summon up to two in a game. Yeah. You Although know. I don't know why you wouldn't summon more ghouls to the on the table. Well, I could summon one and ghouls. Oh sure, I got you. I mean, it lets you be flexible, right? If if your opponent is low model count and you need to outnumber them, you go ghouls. If your opponent has elite infantry and they've got enough bodies, and you're going to be about even with them and you need something that's going to carve you summon into two Vargolfs you know it sort of plays how you need it to play I think Vargolfs are good against like uh, horde armies yeah for sure um but on the overall dude um I don't think you lose anyway like and I think what's nice about this book release is it doesn't if you've been playing Flesh Eater Courts before your list is still absolutely playable and just got better you yeah know I mean whatever you were playing only got better it didn't you're not like uh Suffering from that old school GW thing, where like you've got a new book and suddenly witch elves weren't good, and, and you, you have to buy all new models and figure out how to yeah. how to make them work. So, um, I think this book is a home run, and I also want to comment on the whole. Everyone's like, some people are bitching about power creep, right? Like, everyone likes to bitch. We all like to have a moan about shit. But honestly, I would rather see every book get better before you start to see books get worse, like they used to, right? You know what I mean, like. Mm-hmm. Instead of them toning shit down, why don't we just bring the level up? I know it gets crazy, but also having those crazy, like, like 1-2 KO punch style, it, it's going to speed the game up, which is what a lot of people have also been complaining about, yeah. is how long the game takes to play. So yep. if you're kind of having a f- more faster rock-paper-scissors match, which is not really what we want, but it, it, it is at the same time. If you have these units that are going to, instead of grinding... It's, it's already that way. It's just... yeah. It's, at a 9, and this might turn it up to 11. Yeah, which is, I think, might be a good thing for game times also. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the last Dwellers episode, they talked about the the length of games and how long it takes to, to play a game, and including dice apps and looking at rerolls and not using realm rules and all these different things, and I think it's really interesting mechanically to think about how the game has made it almost impossible to get a full game in, in two hours, four minutes, in a lot of scenarios. If you don't just table your opponent, it's tough to get a game in in time. Yeah, I never had a problem finishing my games when I was playing Warhammer Fantasy 8th Edition. Mm-hmm. And I never had a problem at an event finishing my games of bolt action. Right. Except when I was playing... How many of your games did you finish at LVO? How many games 
came to when, full to, to completion? None. Not a single game. How many reached like a full conclusion and like you guys could call it before you needed like before oh. five turns, but it was it was done. I would I would say every single one of the games at one point you saw the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. So like except for my first game, I guess against um, Chris, I think his name was Chris. Yeah, was when because he had that like one like well if I can summon this thing we can get objective, but all the games went long, you know. Right. And it's it's a lot. Age of Sigmar requires has a lot of moving parts. Definitely. And when we played, I I had two games that we were able to call it. Uh, I'm sorry, three games we were able to call it because either someone had no no useful models left they could score, or like the guy had burned all the objectives. And then I had two games that were very close and probably only made it to turn three. And turns four and five would have been super contentious, and it probably would have had more momentum swings and stuff like that. But th- those games would have taken four and a half hours. Yeah, I would say that like when we were playing, like I don't know, like some armies just have like long a long phase. Like when we played our team tournament and we were playing against um, Garrett and and James and James, yeah, yeah. When we played against them, and Garrett had like Their this six hour long hero phase. Like he's like, oh, I got to cast this. I'm like, holy shit, dude! Like, Make sure you just cast thirteen times, dude. And when we were playing, yeah. <laughs> when we were playing eighth edition, it was like I got two d six power dice. Yeah. So you had to consume those dice. And well, and the that- same thing happens when you play against Nagash, right? He casts forever, and Skaven are going to be the same way. They've got so many double casters; they're going to cast for ages. I think it would make sense to introduce something like they had in eighth edition where there's a limit to the number of spells you get to cast. No matter how many wizards you have, you you can't really add too much more. You see, I don't mind it if it's like your army just does casting pretty well, but then like right. when you're playing like against someone who's running Disciples of Zinch, they have like a really good casting section, and plus they have a really good combat section, and yep. they also have a and unit... And they have a halfway decent shooting section. And they also have a unit that's like got like four different weapon options that can mix and match. Yep. Like, Zangor slowed down the game a lot. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I got all these guys with this, and then I have four guys with that, and I got two guys... With... And it's like, yo, like, I get it. This makes the units cool. Yeah. But, like, having multi-profile... Un- like, full units with multi-profile like that, that you can div- divvy up how you want, makes it... It muddies down the game. Well, and that's also why... So, like, turning to the Skaven book a little bit... They they changed Stormfiend, so you can't just take one loadout on everybody. You can't have all warp fire projectors. You can't have all rattling guns. Each one, there's your like ranged guy, there's your fighting guy, and there's your, your tunneling guy. And you can sort of mix it, but you can't... So everyone who converted up three guys that all have rattling guns are screwed. Everyone who's converted up three warp fire projectors on other guys are screwed. Well, they just, right? had, to buy, they, they just had to buy two other boxes and then convert, yeah. convert no, one you're right, right, like... It's not it's not a total waste, but what it does it does do is it slows down the game because they have to roll each set of of attacks. It's like now I'm doing my wind launchers, now I'm doing my crushing blows, now I'm doing my warp fire braziers, and there's just it bogs down the game like you're saying. And it's not nearly as bad with them because there's only one, maybe two models per unit that have that profile. If you're insane and running six of them, for example, but um, it's the same it's the same issue. Yeah. Okay, so now that we're back off topic, I'm gonna go through my. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think there were like, any bad things about the book or uh, downsides to the book or missed opportunities with the book? 
aside from the the ruling about making behemoths not count as battle line. Oh my god. Um I I would say that the I don't there's nothing I dislike about the book. I think I would have been really pumped up for like a new kit mm-hmm. just because aside from the arch regent cuz like in theory you could run two of them max probably. I mean, you yeah. could take six of them and then 1,200 points, I mean, 800 points of ghouls, and then summon yeah. an additional 1,200 points in ghouls, Yeah, and then have a 3,200-point army on the table. Which is fun. That's fun. That That's how I fun. fun. That's fun. If you want to paint that, bro, but they better be fucking golden demon quality, or I'm elbow-dropping your table. Every single one of them. Every one of them. <laughs> but no, like, you could do some shit like that, which is ridiculous, but I don't think a lot of people are going to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. People aren't going to put in the time and effort. I'm sure Brendan Melnick is snickering at listening to this. Uh, <laughs> he's like painting all. Oh yeah, secret. <laughs> How <film."> little you know. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got 1,200 fucking ghouls built right now. And he's done uh, the math. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's done the math. <laughs> it's actually, 1,342 extra points, nerds. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fucking disgusting. Um, I mean. If you think about it, that many ghouls with that many attacks, they're going to take down anything. Yeah. Unless you have, like, a mystic shield on someone with a 2+. plus. I mean, what's also crazy is you could you could mix those lists, right? You could go Gristlegore, so you're taking your your um, your battle line, your, your like, uh, terror geist's battle line, and you do five arguments. That's 1,000 points. Then you do three terror geists. That's 900 points, yep. And then you right. got 100 points you, extra. You, Right, 100 points to to get your chalice in there, and then you summon 120 ghouls. On turn or one. 100 ghouls. 100 ghouls on turn one for free. Because they're, they're all standing near the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a, that sounds like fun. It does, for someone else. Uh, all right, so... <laughs> <laughs> does not sound like fun to paint, so I'm just going to move on to talking about the million model army that I want to paint, which is the Skaven book. I made right. a top five... Uh, a thing like the top five things about the book, more most powerful things, the best things about the book. So number five, the the strong, the fifth strongest thing in the book is the power creep that it introduces. I know you said you think that like whining about power creep is dumb, and I to a degree agree because it is breathing life back into an old book. People had these models for a while and they couldn't play them competitively, and now you're going to see a ton of them on the table both a ton of models and a ton of people playing them because a lot of folks have But it's it's a strong book and it breathes life back into an army that wasn't getting a lot of play. Got a lot of play in AOS 1 because there was a trick where you could skitterleap Thanqual up and he would just hose a unit with his Warpfire throwers. But they took out some of the dumb techie stuff like that. There's still some kind of dumb techie stuff in there. But the power creep is, is definitely real. Uh, the number four thing I like most about the book, the Skaven book, is that it introduces flexible list builds. You can basically get a powerful list in every one of the major clans. Pestilence has some really good options. Skyre, very strong. Molder has some really cool options. I think the only one that you can't really run competitively by itself is probably Eshin, because it's only got four unit choices, and they took out the Silver Tower guy, who wasn't that good. He wasn't amazing anyway, so I'm not that worried about it. But like, You've got Gut Runners, Night Runners the assassin and the vermin lord that's not enough options i think that's enough options what's that i think it's enough Uh, yeah well because it's the same numbers are in your book yes enough (laughs) you could do it (laughs) but also unfortunately the gutter runners and the night runners aren't the coolest models like they're they're cool models they're not the they're not as pretty as like some of the 
They're they're a really old kit. They're like a fifth edition. No, kit. you're still gluing the tails on. Yeah. No thanks. If I wanted to glue tails on Wrath, I'd be playing Malifo. I don't know, dude. The thing is, is like I got like a lot of Skaven hate in my heart. Mm-hmm. Because the eighth edition. Yeah. Um, and what I was gonna say about you when you just kept talking, I couldn't even get a word in edgewise about your number five. But like, there are a ton of dudes who played anything that are playing AOS now that are like gonna be like I, I'm hoping Chad's gonna put all those Skaven on rounds because he has that huge Skaven army. Yeah. That is gonna be totally playable in this game. Yep. And like, that's awesome. That's for them, and I think that's a, that's what the, they really needed to do. Mm-hmm. Because I agree, it's starting to feel like everything from back then is like you have your new stuff that's excellent, but all the stuff from back in the day is starting to come around and be good, and that's going to draw people who have been on a hiatus back into the game. I'm right there with you. I think it's definitely good for the game. It'll be nice to see Chad playing the game again. Hopefully, like when he's hungover and misses a critical roll with Skaven, because it's what you do with Skaven is you miss critical rolls. Just watching him spike a doom wheel like it's a football, and he just scored a touchdown. That'll be fun. I hope he doesn't do that. <laughs> I mean, I hope he doesn't you, also, you but I've seen him do it before. I read the ITC Code of Conduct, and if you do that, you'll be removed from the tournament. Uh, no, 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 it's just a foul. It's just a foul? That's a foul. So I can slam, I can spike three of my models before I get removed from the tournament? Correct. Ooh. <laughs> I, I saw someone do that with a fucking uh, mega boss on Maw Crusher. No. At, at uh, PAX, a one-day tournament, and I was oh, like... Wait. First off, dude, you'd have done that before you went to the tournament because those things suck. <laughs> and second off, are you an adult? Like, <laughs> so, not yet. So, what's your number three, bro? My number three is the shooting meta. I think that this this brings a really shooty build back into focus for Skaven. Gives them a lot of options for like overcharging every single choice they want. Um, and what's good about that is I think it's necessary to combat what the fact have to offer, which is the super fast, definitely going to kill you as soon as it charges you monsters. But it also is going to mean that people are going to have to bring shooting to combat it. So you're going to see more Stormcast shooting. You're going to see more Caradron shooting. You're going to, I would bet you see Free Guild coming back in because they've got that stand and shoot. And even if your Gristle Gore, uh, your, your Gristle Gore general charges in and gets to fight first, before that happens... The, the free guild get to do their stand and shoot and they're going to unload fucking 30 shots into your into your guy. He's going to hit a lot less hard. I think it's a unfortunate thing to see that that Gristle Gore dude gets to swing before Deepkin. Before Iden it. Yeah, it's before, like the... Like, you even get to choose your... A lot of like, things... Biovotech blast too. I don't want to be like a whiny Ideneth player, but like a lot of things circumvent that rule. Like yeah. any, anything that says like a, any war scroll that lets you fight swing first circumvents that rule, mm-hmm. any any spell all that shit and then that's like the one thing that army has that makes it powerful. <laughs> it was our one thing, and you made us worse at it. No, like, I mean like covers great and all, and then run and charge is good, but everyone has like ac- easy. A-, a lot of armies have easy access to run and charge, but being able to say my whole army gets to swing first. When you have things that are very delicate, so you you're like when you're playing Ideneth, you're like gearing your keeping things alive and in the right spot for that turn three. And then for yeah. someone to say, well, that doesn't apply to me, makes your whole army kind of feel like... Yeah, well, it's sort of like you you have a scalpel that you have to apply, and other people have, like, a couple steak knives, which are which are bigger and and just as sharp, but you still have to play with that scalpel. And then someone comes in and says, I've got a broadsword that I just sharpened, and here we go, let's play. Yeah, here's my Gristle Gore, like, general on Terror Geist 
charging you and going to eliminate. And then I'm going right. to also, I'm also going to immediately fight again for a command point. Right. So like your, your Ideneth army, you have to, you have this, this great advantage with the, the swinging first in the high tide. But you have to use it really well. You have to be clever and wait for it and find and like bide your time for the right opportunity to strike. Yeah. Meanwhile, someone else has the same ability but better, and they can just throw it forward. They don't have to be clever about it. They can just get in there and know he's going to be relatively safe because he's going to chew up anything he fights. Yeah. It's it's a little whatever. I don't want to cry about it. I'll, I'll cry about it when I play Feck at Adepticon and it happens to me. Yeah, but then you're going to not cry. You're going to cry tears of joy about it when you play your feck at Triumph and you just do this to everybody. Yeah, but I don't think I'm going to play Gristlegore. But it's a long story, you know. No, I know, I know. I'm just being difficult. Okay, so shooting meta, I think, is going to come back. It's going to be good for some armies that haven't seen a lot of love, like Caradron. You only see one or two armies at a tournament. You know, and they're they're doing well. You saw the guy took, the guy played on the top table at CanCon with uh, his Caradron. Like, they're they're strong, and I think it'll be good for for stuff like... um, like a mixed order list where people can pick and choose the the fun units they want to use for shooting. Um, I I don't love that it's going to make it harder for like more balanced armies that have like a little bit of shooting, a little bit of combat, a little bit of magic to function because by doing that you guarantee you're not going to be as good as your opponent at it. So it's sort of, it's sort of tough. But I'm going to get to my 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 downsides to the book later. My number two thing in the book is vermin lords and monsters. So vermin lords still cheap. They all cast two spells. They all have a great native spell. Help at Abomination got great against Hordes. Uh, I'm not sure if he got a points reduction, but he's really, really solid now. There is a downside if he only moves 2d6 a turn, and it's at random table, so you could move him two a turn, which could suck. But he's still plenty powerful. Doom Wheels are back, dude. Doom Wheels can move over units that have three or fewer wounds as though they can fly, and they just do carte blanche, d3 wounds, whatever they move over. And there's also a way, so they, and they move 4d6, so like, you can basically play Tonka Trucks with your Doom Wheels. <laughs> I've got a list I've been toying around with, with four Doom Wheels, and there's one. There's an, um, an artifact in the Skaven book for Skyre that lets you double one of their moves each turn. So you're going 4d6 times two, and they also pack this so when they charge. So like, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with the Doom Wheels. That's they seem insane. like fun. It's sort of like a zany, crazy, bad idea Skaven list. But you know that's what I want to play. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, that's me. And the one thing in the book is Thankwall. Like, he's he's flexible, he's busted, he can clear out hordes if you build him that way, he can be a combat monster if you build him that way. He's always going to be plus two to cast at the start of the game. He's fucking nuts, dude. He's really good. And with the new, the new additions that they gave to a lot of the Gracier and, like, Verminlord characters, he's got a five-up after damage save, so he's always going to have that 5-up invulnerable, basically. And he's got the scurry away rule, so like if he's in combat with something and your opponent makes a mistake and they activate the wrong thing, and you don't want him to fight and get killed, you just run him away. Every every hero in the Skaven book has this runaway rule, which is really fluffy, it, like, it fits the theme really well, but it makes that guy that's big and scary just that much more survivable. So he's going to wreck shit. I think you're going to see a ton of him on the table. That's crazy. Yeah, I people are already talking about like taking the four warp fire throwers because if you if you haven't read the book, the way this works is you pick a unit and you roll two dice. I'm sorry, you roll one die per warp fire throw he has. He can have anywhere between zero and four, and then one die per model in that unit within eight of him. So you could be rolling four dice 
for every model in the unit if you get him nice and close. And every four up is a mortal wound. Oh my which God. is insane. It's insane. It's great against hordes. It's not so good against like elite bodies, so it's not gonna do much against your fulminators or your your evocators on cats, your big cavalry stuff, like your gore gruntas and stuff. But it's just gonna chew through any infantry. It's gonna be mean. It's also not great for, for sniping characters. But at the same time, if he has four of them, if there's one character in range, you roll four dice. If you need to just get one or two mortal wounds through, you're gonna do it. You're gonna get him off. Yeah. That's pretty it's pretty mean. I did make a list of two things that are like the worst things about this book. And I already mentioned one of them, which is what it does to the non shooting or like non flexible army builds, right? Like if you try to build a a mixed arms list, it's gonna be really hard to compete with this because the shoot off you're shooting first. And then you crash into their walls of of clan rats and can't get through to the stuff that's going to kill you. Right? It's going to be it's going to be tough. It forces people to play more skew list because this I think this book suffers from the same thing that like daughters had, which is it's a little too cheap for what it does. So you can fit almost everything you want and do it better than everyone else can. Yeah, so it's going to force people to build in more redundancy to be able to more redundancy and like more uh, more spikier rock paper scissors lists like you were talking about yeah uh the other thing that i think is bad about the book is it's i just it makes me feel bad for Ideneth and iron jaws like there's a couple books out there that have had one release and they didn't they were like not super competitive before the power creep because like this isn't the only book that has power creep right feck is strong but you look at gloom spite they have a ton of options to do a lot of stuff in the magic phase in the movement phase they've got good combat you look at um Legions of Nagash after the Night Haunt release. You look at Stormcast when, when Soul Wars came out. These are all very strong armies that have been updated to fit 2.0. And if you look at Ideneth, they came out right before 2.0. They don't. They didn't really have a lot of tools the way you see armies doing now. They've only got one or two useful command traits. They've only got one multicaster. Right? There, there's a lot of things that it just doesn't have yeah. the options. Yeah, they don't. They only have one battalion that you could take that makes sense without paying an insane tax and even then it's not really i'm not gonna say it's not worth it it's still just hard to fit it in a list exactly exactly and there's like at least three or four battalions in this skaven book that make a lot of sense there's at least two or three that make sense in the feck book so and like in uh, the gloom spy book there's there's definitely battalions that make sense and are playable at a competitive level so it's just it's it makes me feel bad for them because it feels like they're playing a bit of a an outdated list. So I, I would really love to see Iron Jaws and Ideneth get the next box set coming out in June. Right. Give yeah. them each a character or a kit. Give them updated War Scrolls and give them the, like better lores. I don't know. <coughs> I, I don't know. Ideneth had just come out right before, like a year ago. So I don't think I it's going to happen. I know. I don't think so either. But I can I can dream, can't I? Yeah, maybe a fact, like a really like, mind-boggling fact for them would do something. I mean, maybe in June, when General's Handbook comes out, the Leviathan will drop 100 points, and the Marty will drop 10 or fifteen po- or ten or 20 points for 10, and Reavers will become battle-line, not just if you take a, a certain character. Yeah, that's even with all that, it would still have to... No, it would still be an uphill battle, and I don't actually think being a perfectly balanced game is good for the game. Yeah. Like, if we want that, we should just play chess. You and I, or, like, we should go back to playing Kings of War and stop bitching about it. But Kings of War sucks. Yeah, perfectly balanced games suck. It's fun to not to give yourself a handicap, but to give yourself the challenge of playing an army that you like, even though 
they might be a little bit behind the power curve. Yeah, I just think that like, like, I don't know. I I always you get you get opinions about the armies you play, right? So like, yeah. as you're playing them, you're going like, this is what's wrong with this army, and uh, like, like one little like if the Marty just got two inch reach, mm-hmm. that would totally make them worth their points. Yeah, agreed. I mean, if they got two inch reach and went up points, I think they'd be worth it. Thralls. Yep. I yeah. agree. If the if the shark was one twenty instead of one sixty, yeah. I think you'd be worth taking at one twenty. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. Like everyone, a lot of people complain about eels. Because, mm-hmm. but it's like, yo, it's the one thing in the book that's like really. When you look at it, you go, "That's I need that." You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't. There's ta- a reason it's it's the choice. Yeah, I only take six, but they're really good. But at the yep. same time, if the eels don't get the charge, they're not that good. Nope. Or like sticking around the turn after the charge. If you used your your biovoltaic blast, yeah, they've or, got no more tricks. Or even the eastern eels, which are going to be a three-up, no-rend mm-hmm. on the charge. That's really good. You're going to hold yeah, whatever definitely. you're fighting against is going to have a hard time killing you, but, you know, on the overall, if that turtle goes down 100 points, uh, you'll see me build Eastland eels and probably sharks and shit yeah. and run it with the turtle, because I think yeah. that alongside with a nice mystic shield buff, three-up, re-rolling ones, eels, yep. are that are decent in combat, they're going to do good. Yeah, agreed. So I would love to see that that turtle go down in points, just c- because it it makes more diversity on the table. It's fun to see big monsters that people spend a lot of time painting. Yeah, I I think I, at LVO I was the only Ideneth player with a turtle, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I have I to check. I don't think I, I thought saw... I saw another one, but I could be making that up. Yeah, I don't know. People don't take them. They're really expensive. Three hundred eighty points is a lot. Yeah. And it sucks you're looking at him as like, yeah, he's great. He's got that one bite that does D6 damage, and on a 6, he does 6 mortal wounds. And then you look at Feck, which has a monster that is 80 points cheaper and has 3 attacks like that. Yeah. And they can take 6 of them. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, now that you're going to go commit suicide, I'm just going to take a quick break on the show, and we'll be back after the interview I have with Reese, who will, I guess, be my new co-host, since you're going to go burn all your models like that Dark Elf guy. Yeah, that guy's my hero, bro. <laughs> I want to be just like that guy. Fucking... All right, we're going to be right back after a short break with an interview with Reese Robbins. All right. Bye. Yeah, whatever. Boom! Two plus two is four. Minus one, that's three. Quick maths. Everyday man's on the block. Smoke trees. See your girl in the park. That girl was a uckers. When the thing went quack, quack, quack. You man was ducking. Hold tight, ask me, my brother. He's got a pumpy, big team. Hold tight, my man, my guy. He's got a frisbee. I trap, trap, trap on the phone. Moving that cornflakes. Rice Krispies. Hold tight, my girl with me. On the, on, on, on the road, doing ten toes. Like my toes. Like my toes. You man fought, I froze. Yeah, ten girls on a post. If she ain't on it, I post. Ha, look at your nose. Check your nose, man. You donut. Nose long like garden hose. I tell a man's not hot. I tell a man's not hot. The girl told me take off your jacket. I said, babe, man's not hot. Never hot. I tell a man's not hot. Never hot. I tell a man's not hot. Never hot. The girl told me take off your jacket. I said, babe. All right, and we are back. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I am by myself tonight because Joe is a loser and lives on the East Coast and has to get up early in the morning to work. But I am joined by Reese Robbins of Frontline Gaming. Welcome, Reese. 
Hey, thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. So I wanted to have you on because there was so much hubbub after the LVO about coverage, about who was streaming it, about players getting disqualified, about the, the fact that it wasn't on the same weekend as the adult film industry con that so many people were so <laughs> disappointed about. I just wanted to have you on to clear the air and learn a little bit more about the ITC because personally, all I know about it is what people have told me and I'm getting a little bit tired of being told what to think. So I wanted to go straight to the source. So Reese, yeah, I know you you started Frontline Gaming. I know you play Age of Sigmar. Let's let's get in. Let's start from the beginning. How did you get into Warhammer? How long have you been playing? What armies do you play? And how much do you hate the new Skaven book? Uh, um, I've been playing forever. I've been playing since the eighties, um, and uh, I have I have fifteen forty k armies, and I have um, I have three Age of Sigmar. Well, no, I have four Age of Sigmar armies. Okay, so I'm like ridiculously overinvested <laughs> into it. <laughs> Not um, to mention the, the business you run that is entirely invested in Games Workshop games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our game store is one of the few that I know of that is essentially a game, an independent Games Workshop store. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't sell, I mean, we don't do magic. We don't do uh, RPGs. It's not that we don't want to. It's just that um, our, our the whole staff are passionate uh, Games Workshop gamers and it's just what's worked for us. So we're like 100% um, involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we run three different, very, you know, large events. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we run the ITC, which is now a global tournament circuit. Yep. And just like we're about as involved as you could possibly get. <laughs> <laughs> what are the other two events? Because I know I've heard of ITC, obviously. What are the other ones you guys run? <laughs> and pardon me, I've, I've got a cold here, but, um, so we've got the ITC, which is the circuit. We have mm-hmm. the LVO, which is our crown jewel. Yep. Um, and then we've run the SoCal open, mm-hmm. which is a, a big event in San Diego, California. And then the Bay area open, which is the event that started frontline gaming. And that's going on year nine. Wow. Um, and that's up by San Francisco. It's in a town called, um, um, it's, it's right next to the San Francisco airport near mountain view for oh, those sure. Familiar. Yeah, definitely. So Frontline, you said that event started Frontline Gaming. So you guys started nine years ago and you guys have been, you guys have moved up from a basement to a storefront to two storefronts. Is that right? Well, back down to one. Back down um, to one. Yeah, we had two for a while. It was not, with our business model, it didn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. So then we consolidated into one much larger location and we started manufacturing products. We make, um, we make terrain yep. for uh, games like 40K and Age of Sigmar, and we make gaming mats, the FLG mats. Right. And we manufacture those here in the United States. Um, so in our facility now, it's a game store, an office, a uh, distribution center, and a, where- and a factory. And is that the one down in San Diego? Yep. Yeah, we're located in Point Loma, San Diego. Awesome. Yeah, because I know you guys used to have the, the spot up in Northern California. I actually came through one time when I had a, a commission army. Do you guys, you guys still have the, your, your fleet of, of commission painters too, right? Yeah. To my knowledge, we're the largest paint studio in North America. Um, and we, we, yeah, we do. We've been doing it for eight, eight years now. Wow. And, um, we had, there's a lot of people that, that work for us or work with us. And, um, we're always taking new commissions and we're always looking for new talent for anybody who wants to supplement their income or work full-time painting miniatures it's a it's a good gig to work with us yeah absolutely now just so that anybody who turns off the show in the next 30 seconds 
because our quality is not, my, you know, my content isn't terribly good. What's the website if they want to get to that before they turn off the show? So the main website is frontlinegaming.org. Um, it's uh, flgpainstudio.com. Mm-hmm. And then the various events, it's like lasvegasopen.net. But if you go to frontlinegaming.org, that's the hub site. And from there, you can navigate to any other site. Well, that's terrific. I actually had the, the pleasure of playing against one of your commission painters, Austin Morgan at LVO. And yeah, his, he's a good dude. His army is gorgeous. Yeah, I've, I played him four or five years back at Quake City Rumble, back when he wasn't a commission painter, when he was still working in software. And he had a gorgeous army then, and you know he had a gorgeous army now. And it's just it's one of those things that's really cool to see commissioned painters who are basically walking advertisement for themselves and for for the studio they work for. And that yeah, was and gorgeous. A lot of our painters also do their own thing too. Mm-hmm. Like they work with us and they work for themselves. And one of our guys, Matt Pashby, actually did. He got like third place night oh, to see. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he kicked ass. Um, they're they're good. Yeah, like it's you know it's everyone's super into the community and the hobby and. Uh, we're happy to help people put some money in their pocket by doing that. Definitely. So let's let's switch gears and talk about the ITC. I vaguely looked at the website and saw that you guys have been running it for five or six years in, in 40K, and this is the third season in, in AOS. But can you talk me through how that started and what that, what that scope looks like at this point? Yeah, so the ITC is basically it's like a collective of people that run events, leagues, tournaments, uh, narrative events, like whatever, mm-hmm. all around the world. It's now, it's, a, it's truly a global community now. Um, we have ITC events in China, mm-hmm. Africa, um, Southeast Asia, the Pacific, uh, Europe, North America, Canada. Um, we just had one in Venezuela. We have in wow. Mexico. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to see where it's come from because it started out um, back in ye old days. There was a website called, um, it was like rankings.com or something like that. Mm-hmm. And a um, really nice Australian guy um, got it going and it was really fun. Yeah. And we always used to check, you know, if our event we played at got uploaded. And it was so, so much fun and it was so engaging to have like a leaderboard. Yeah. But um, he was unable to monetize it. And so he, he hung up. Um, his uh, uh, stirrups, so yeah. to speak, and kind of phoned it in. Hung up his, and, his, uh, uh, his didgeridoo, as it were. Yeah, because it was really expensive, right? Like, people don't realize how expensive it is, just server fees, you know, right. and the time it takes to, to keep stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so long story short, there was a vacuum in the marketplace, which you'll hear this is a repeated theme <laughs> yeah. of what we do. And we were like, yeah, we'll do it. And so in the in the beginning, it was um, there was 450 people that participated, and I was like, ecstatic that that many people participated. Right. And um, it was just me on a spreadsheet manually updating everybody's scores. Like they would just send me the results, I would update them, put them up online, and everyone was super excited. And then we were like, oh, let's have the person who gets the most points over the year gets a trophy. And that's how that's how it started. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, we have just in 40K alone, we have over 10,000 participants worldwide. Jesus. Yeah. And it's it's like a huge deal now. People travel from all around the world. Um, uh, we have Hobby Track, which was really cool. We had people like crazy getting into it um, where you accumulate points in the same way, but just for painting and okay. hobbying. Uh, and then we have it for Age of Sigmar, um, hobby and competitive. And then mm-hmm. we have Shadespire and Kill Team this year, too. And so when you talk about those rankings, are those are those are battle points specific for, for the tournaments that they compete in? And then if they do hobby track, it's just the paint scores or the, the hobby? 
points that that's they accumulate? The, that's the default. Um, and the reason that we do that is because um, if, if, a, if a TO wants to submit his results as overall, mm -hmm. they can. That's fine. But the, we, we default to battle points on the competitive track sure. because it's objective. Right. Um, right? Like, what, you know, like, because we all know, like, you can go with your army to two different events, have two different judges look at it, and get two totally dramatically different scores. Sure. And then the judge can justify their decision in both cases. Definitely. Um, and so putting in soft scores, especially sportsmanship, it's, it becomes very fuzzy. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes it extremely difficult to determine like a, a mathematically verifiable winner. Right. So we default to battle points, but the ITC is very inclusive. And so if somebody wants to rank their event, however they want to rank their event, that's mm -hmm. fine. But we have found that both the event organizers and the players, typically speaking, ask for an objective measurement. Sure. Um, but it just, it depends on the community. Definitely. You know, everyone's, everyone's different the way they want to do it. Yeah. So what are you guys at for, for numbers for AOS? Cause I mean, 10,000 sounds like a ton for 40 K, but I also know 40 K has a ton more market penetration than, than AOS does. And AOS is still a really new game, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's not, um, you know, it's a three-year-old game, right? Absolutely. Right? 40 K is like a 40 year old the, game. The first year and a half they had it out. Everyone knew it wasn't a finished game. Um, you, you know what? AOS? AOS. Oh man, let me think. Age of Sigmar. Give me one second here. Sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. No worries. I'm gonna edit in a number that I made up anyway. So, or you can just email me the number and I'll edit in. Me no, saying, I'm looking it up. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so we were at just about two thousand. Wow, that's still that's still terrific. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's it's great. Like we're really really pleased with how much it's grown and age of sigmar is a game especially once they got through the growing pains of the beginning has just gone bananas oh absolutely um so i that's that's so great that you guys have had so much success and i real quick do you want to plug what the itc can do for a tournament or what reporting results can what, what kind of resources you guys will provide to tournaments if they if they reach out and say hey we want to be an itc event yeah, so the, the first thing that the, to like kind of like keep bear in mind is that there's literally no downside. Right. Like there's just no downside at all. Like what we have found uh, with 40K especially, because um, it's, so, it's so prevalent now, mm -hmm. is that if you, if you put the stamp on your event, you get more players, period. Right. Um, and it's been really good for stores. It's driving business into their stores for their RTTs. Yeah. Um, and then people are buying stuff. They're buying a ticket. Uh, it's it's really good for people who are taking the the gamble to become a GT or a major. Right. Um, and then there's big financial risk involved, and it's the whole idea is to provide a support structure to first like educate and inform, because mm -hmm. people who are new to it, it's like this is how you negotiate a contract. Like join the group, and we'll help you get through that that those kind of hurdles like sure. with money and, and organization. Um, and then it's also there to provide a support structure for like we're going to help get the word out about your event. We want more people to come and right. be aware of it. So it's, it's really meant to, to empower and um, encourage people to take the jump into becoming more than just maybe organizing RTTs at the FLGS. Sure. It's like, okay, I will risk, you know, thousands of dollars of my own money to run an event. And we want to help people feel confident to do that and help them to, to succeed. Yeah. Uh, and then and the idea is to get more people playing more Warhammer and right. that's it. Right. If we're all playing more Warhammer and we get more people into it, then everyone wins. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it actually came about as like a survival response. Like we did it for fun. And then in the, the dark days of sixth and seventh edition 40K, when it was like <laughs> people were quitting like crazy and it was actually really good for Age of Sigmar because a ton of people converted. Right. Uh, people were like, it was the scene was in a bad, bad place. Like we were just, we're watching attendance levels drop. Mm-hmm. And we were like, shoot, what do we do? And so the, the, the ITC has been credited in the 40K community for really helping keeping the wheels turning. Um, and 7th edition definitely helped turn it around, but then it got really crazy. And then 8th edition has just been such, such a boon. Just like the General's Handbook for Age of Sigmar was yeah. like the silver bullet. Um, and so it, it, it kind of came about as a survival response because I would have quit the game right. entirely in 7th edition. I was very dissatisfied. Sure. But you know, obviously having a business and putting all my money, my life savings into this, I just couldn't give up right. on it. You, you literally can't see it fail. Otherwise, you have no rent. Yeah, in the last seven year, eight years of my life have been for naught, right? So, right, absolutely. Yeah, so that that was kind of it too. We were a little desperate, and um, that's kind of the the brew that it grew out of. Definitely. Well, as much as I want to keep talking about the history, and I, you actually almost led into one of my my actual my interview questions for later on. But I always like to start with fan questions and listener questions. So I've got a couple questions that my friends or some people on Twitter shot to me, and I want to see your thoughts on these. So the first question comes from my buddy Thomas, who lives out in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is just east of Nashville. And he's also a free guild player. And you're a free oh, guild nice. player. You're a, well, you're a well-known free guild player. So his, his question was, what are your army ideas for free guild in AOS 2.0? Do you have any, any new builds that you've been thinking about or working on since the drop of 2.0? So my first recommendation is to avoid uh, playing in the Realm of Shadow because <laughs> that is so brutal. But most people don't use the, the full Realm rules, thankfully. Right. Um, so my list is really uh, – it's like I only play this list if somebody comes to me and they say they want to play a really competitive game because right. it's not, um, it's not a, a list that you bring to make friends. <laughs> it's, it's, full, it's full blast. But I, I basically I take um, – uh, a full unit of uh, crossbowmen, two units mm-hmm. of handgunners, four rocket batteries, which is the super dick punch. Yep. Um, the celestial hurricanum. I take the the free guild general on a uh, mount with the uh, banner. Yep. And then from there, it, it really varies, but that's the core of like that just crushes most people. Yeah. The only army that I ever had trouble with was Zinch, but now that Zinch has been toned down, it's not so bad. Um, uh, and I, I, I vary from there. Like I sometimes take great swords. I sometimes take, um, uh, pistoliers and mm-hmm. outriders oh, those, uh, for objective grabbing. Cool yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll take, um, a general on a Griffin cause they, with the points dropped, they're really appealing. Sometimes I take, um, 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 demigriff riders, yeah. not because they do a lot of damage, but they're really resilient. They're good for taking objectives and just super nostalgic. Yeah. And I love the models. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but the, the hardcore of the army mm-hmm. is the Hurricanum, the uh, the general, because his his uh, his ability to give people plus one yeah. is ridiculous. Um, the rocket batteries are really hit or miss, like, pardon the pun. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, when they're hot, they're amazing. When they're not, they don't do anything. And sure. I always have one turn where I whiff, and I don't, like, hit it or do any damage. But the handgunners and the crossbowmen are so ridiculously strong. Yeah, I bet. You know, they're hitting on twos. They're often wounding on twos or threes. It's, they're so good. I'm trying to think of what would be a bad counter for you. And I was originally thinking, you know, Idenf would present problems because you're not allowed to shoot at anything that's not the closest unit. 
But even then, that just means you're shooting at whatever has charged you first with everything else. Yeah, well, it's it's the stand and shoot or Overwatch or whatever you want to. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact rule. Yeah, I think it's stand and shoot. Stand and shoot. It's that I was t- I was actually talking to some of the devs last time I was over there. I was like, you need to tone this down. <laughs> it's a full shooting attack, fully buffed. I was like, I killed a bloodthirster with twenty handgunners at Adepticon when he charged me, and I, yep. the guy was so upset, and I was like, I'm really sorry, dude. <laughs> but it was just like, it, it's way too strong. Should, you wouldn't take it to Adepticon again. Yeah, I was like, it's it, it should be minus one to hit or something at least. Something. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Like, people will charge into you with like a hammer unit and you'll just blow them away. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, yeah. You did that so, out of order. Uh, Sorry, friend. Yeah, yeah. It's like I said, that that's a list that you bring to a tournament. Not really a list I would recommend for playing casually because it's, um, if the other player doesn't have a list that's geared up, it's probably not going to be very fun. Right, they don't have a good answer. They're just it's going to be game over when they try to charge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then if the rocket batteries are rolling hot, it's just, it's so savage because there's nowhere they can hide. Right. Like, you yeah. Jeez. Just... Okay. Yeah. So that's sickening and amazing. Um, he also asked what your general thoughts on, on 2.0 were for the scene and how you think realm rules fit in with, with the whole tournament scene. You already sort of mentioned shadow, but I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that. I'm I'm not a fan of the realm rules. Like 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 bits and parts of it, I think are really cool. Mm-hmm. But if you play full blast realm rules, like I, I feel like it's just really really poor for match play experience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's reflected in the fact that barely anybody actually uses the full realm rules. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really creative and fun. And I think in casual or narrative play, it's, it can be great. Yeah. But in in match play, like it just introduces too many variables into the into the equation that can be just like stifling. Like if you play carriage and over, cause I was talking to one of the, the, the gentlemen and I was like, well, what's the deal with realm of shadows? Like, I was like six inch range on a shooting attack. And they're like, Oh, we wanted people to bring, um, diverse armies. And I was like, so you just came out with a shooting army carriage and overlords. Like what options do they actually have? Right? Like they've got buzz saws and more buzz saws. Yeah. And I'm like, that is that really like you made an army that's a shooting army, right? Well, like dwarves, right? Like, or in the, and then you could you can you know show that example through all kinds of uh, of the realms where it's yeah. just so it's so punishing to the point where playing the game it's like your odds of winning have gone down fifty sixty percent yeah and it's like this is not really enjoyable in my experience like I would prefer the game to not be determined by some random chance events but more by player skill as much as possible in a dice game definitely and so, so I. I actually really like realm rules, like you said, for for casual play and in tournaments where I'm not doing my super best to try to win every game and, you know, taking my most competitive mindset into it. I think they're a lot of fun, but they also lead to games that are usually three and a half hours. And there was a, the dwellers were talking in their last episode, I don't know if you listen to their show or not, but they were talking about the, the time bloat that is happening in tournament play, that two hours and 30 minutes is rarely enough time to finish a game of Age of Sigmar unless one player completely t- tables the other player. And realm rules are a big part of that. Realm rules and re-rolls are basically the two things that are making the game take three hours to finish your actual five turns. And that, it's funny too, because Scott, um, Scott Reed is like, mm-hmm. he run, he's our AOS guy. Yeah. Like for organizational purposes, he runs event, He runs all of our AOS events pretty much. Right. And he and I talk about it all the time. And I'm like, it's funny because I, I'll talk to people in the AOS community sometimes. And I feel like 
you're going through the growing pains that the 40k community went through like four or five years ago mm-hmm. uh, or even not even that like two three years ago in some instances and it's like he's like yeah people aren't finishing games i'm like just use a chess clock and it's like such a foreign concept and i'm like it took a long time but now it's becoming really commonplace in the 40k community and it's like everyone is like i have data showing it too like right. it's like the vast majority of people are so thankful that they get to finish their game. Sure. Um, but I mean, you're talking about mechanical issues, which are a little bit more systemic they're harder to change. Right. right. But if you slap a clock on the table, all of a sudden you see games finish. It's pretty miraculous. I, I don't doubt it. That's, that's an interesting thought. And I think some people like it's, I, I would put that in the same category as dice apps for how divisive they are about player experience, but I haven't tried either one. So I really can't speak to either. Um, we had a great question coming from Dan from AOS Shorts, and he asked, what does the future of AOS look like in ITC? It look like more events, more support, more streaming. What are you guys looking at for the 2019 season and beyond? Really, we're just trying to get uh, more growth, more people excited about it, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, not every event out there needs help. Like, right. there's a lot of really well-established AOS events that are community leaders, and they're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um and the thing we try to communicate to people is it's not, it's not just about each one of our individual events because, you know, technically we're competitors to everybody else out there because we run events too. But right. I've always had the, the mindset that the, the rising tide lifts all ships, sure. right? The more people playing Warhammer, the better for everybody, right? It gives more people the opportunity to get involved. Um, if you're a TO out there and you're like, should I or should I or not? do it. I'm like, there's no downside. And, um, like Chuck, the poll Chuck ran at, uh, Nova mm-hmm. when asking people like, do you want this to count for ITC points? And it was like 60% said yes, 5% said no. And then 40% or 35% of the people said they don't care either way. Right. And it's just like, that's basically the way it is for the people who like it. It's, it means a lot to them. Right. And for most everybody else, they just don't care. So it's like, there's really no downside. Um, we help promote the event. We help you with support, mm-hmm. um, and, and then you get connected to a community of other people that are doing the same thing that help share ideas and help guide you towards growing your event to be whatever it is you want it to be. Maybe yeah. maybe you just want it to be a cool GT. Maybe you have big ambition and you want it to be a 300-person AOS major, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So here, the last question we got from a listener was, will AOS always be the redhead stepchild of ITC? And I'll follow that up with, do you think that AOS is the, the redhead stepchild of the ITC, aside from the fact that it's just a smaller community because the game is so new? Yeah, we don't look at it that way at all. I mean, the people who are the core like administrators of the game, we all play 40K and AOS. Right. Um, I'm in the process of getting my Beast of Chaos, my newest army, ready for a league that we're about to play in. And, 75 uh, Enlightened. What's that? 75 Enlightened. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Only Beast of Chaos. No, no Zinch. There you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a horde. Well, I'm going to start on the table with resilient units and try and summon in a horde right. uh, flak every turn, and I'm going to see if I can play the objective game, but um, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Mostly I just love the models, and that oh, was why. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I'll never think that Bestigor aren't awesome, amazing models. And then when they come in and kill your stuff on the table, you don't feel as bad. They're the best of gores. I, I would say they're the worst of gores. <laughs> they're the worst of gores to see across <laughs> the table. Yeah, and I've always wanted a Beastman army, and so I was just like, yep, I'm going to do it. But um, it's not its not that it's the redheaded stepchild. It's just um, there's only so many hours in the day, and there's five times as many people participating in 40K as, as AOS, so it takes more attention, and that's it. Right, that's all absolutely. it boils down to. That makes sense. And, 
if, if there ever came a point when the AOS um, ITC community was bigger, mm-hmm. it would get more attention just because we'd have to. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So moving on into into more a little bit questions about the effect that I think or you think that the ITC has had on, on the scene. What do you think are the positives and negatives of having a tournament scene almost entirely focused on battle points and rankings as opposed to a focus on sportsmanship and paint? Well, we do. So the the positive side is that it gets more people engaged and excited and it keeps people engaged for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, people that might move on as they, you know, as, as those of us in our thirties and forties, fifties, there's priorities that rise up in life and you kind of like drift away. I don't understand. Um, and, and we know <laughs> factually, like we have data to support this, that it keeps people engaged and excited and mm-hmm. it keeps people more involved in the community. So the upside is definitely like it's gotten, it's it definitely, definitely helped to establish a global, global community. Yeah. Um, when we have people talking to each other that never spoke to each other before, um, there's a, gr- a really strong sense of camaraderie, friendly competition. Sure. Um, and, and there's people going to more events and we, again, we have, this is like, not my opinion. This is, we have hard data proving right. that it's gotten more people to go to more events and, and, and help other people live out their dream of being a TO or, or helping them run a game store. Um, that's the upside. Yeah. The downside is that we've gotten reports of people saying like, um, uh, you know, in my, in my store, um, like it's only, they only will play ITC and people will discourage people from purchasing certain units because they say they're bad. Mm. Um, and so we, we've tried to move away from that, like sense of ultra competitiveness. Cause that's not why we did it. That's right. not why we made it. And that's why we, we rolled out the hobby track mm-hmm. to celebrate the creative aspect of it. Cause without that, why, why we would just be, we should just play chess. Right. Um, and then we also rolled out the code of conduct to um, combat negative sportsmanship. And this year we also rolled out our annual um, sportsmanship award. It's only in the 40 K side of things right now because okay. we've only got one sponsor for it. Right. <laughs> but it's, um, um, it's actually one of the co-founders of riot games okay. um, who make league of legends. Yeah. He, uh, he plays in a charity match every year against a person who is deemed the greatest sportsman of the circuit. Yeah. And then um, it's a very, very large amount of money that gets donated to a charity of that person's choice. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're, we're like, the root isn't, the roots are in competitive gaming, but that's definitely not what it's all about. Do you, do you think that having a cash prize either for, for large tournaments or for, for the circuit in general is going gonna, is gonna to push that competitive side even further for the, for the hyper-competitive and for, for lack of a better term, the win-at-all-cost gamers who are, who are not there to make friends but are there to, to wreck face and feel good about themselves when they take their opponent's army off the table? I don't know because I'm, I'm really of a mixed feeling. Because like the, the, the cash prize comes out of my business partner in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And like literally all we can afford is $4,000, and that's still a lot of money. I, yeah, that's way more money than I would expect a tournament to have outside of your, your esports. But go on. Uh, no, it's a good point, right? Compared to esports, it's like it's like a joke, right? right. Like that's nothing, um, but like that's all the budget allows for. And so we're kind of in this weird place where it's like, to actually win the ITC, you spend way more than that. Oh, of course. To to achieve it, so it's kind of like, people are doing it for the bragging rights. They're not doing it for the cash, right? If it was like fifty grand or something like that, I think that it, it's a different story. But it's, we're almost in this point where, like, do we even keep doing it? Because I don't think that's what's motivating anybody 
Um, I don't know because even even four grand to me sounds like so much when like you know I've I took best overall at a ITC event back in 2016 or 2017 and I got a starter box and I was thrilled right like I got 125 dollars worth of product and to multiply that by 40 seems like such a huge prize and maybe maybe it's because I'm coming from an AOS side where in general there aren't cash prizes and and maybe in 40k there's there's more prevalence of that but to me even even four thousand dollars, like I would, I would act very differently on the table. I think if there were four thousand dollars involved, compared with, oh man, I just got the new start collecting Nurgle box. Yeah, and you know what though? Like I think that's a fair response, and I think it really varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're not in the position to do that until like, like it when you're actually in a position to to you know striking distance to that goal, right? It is like, I mean, we filtered out 9,996 other people at that point, right? So if you really like, if at the beginning of the season, you get out of bed and you're like, that $4,000 is mine. (laughs) Maybe somebody does think that, but I I really don't think that at this point in time that that is happening. You know, whereas like a League of Legends tournament where you're winning millions of dollars, like that's, you know, that's very different. Um, but to that point, you, I think your attitude is reflected largely in the AOS community because when we asked them, we're like, do you guys want a cash prize for the AOS ITC? It was like pretty unanimously no. Yeah. And I wasn't upset about that at all. Cause I don't want to cough up any more money. <laughs> right. But, um, it's, I think that the, the attitude and, um, ideas you've expressed are reflected in the AOS community. I think right at this point in time, people that are passionate about it yeah. want to keep it relatively uh chill sure and so, that's fine like, and, and we're how totally do you think cool. how do you think the itc circuit being focused on battle and being focused on competitive play and, and rankings um how do you think that that affects that sort of the chill mindset of like show up play play fun games don't be a dick and if you if you don't like that go play 40k or go play you know, War Machine. Not to not to break War Machine for my seven listeners who play War Machine, which I don't think I have seven listeners. But <laughs> like, does, does that question make sense? Yeah. Well, like the thing is too is like we always tell people because um, at this stage that the LVO is at now, we get a lot of people that come their first year just to check it out because mm-hmm. they're really intimidated. Yeah. And we always tell people, I'm like, this, the the horror stories you hear about somebody acting poorly, you're talking about like one or two, maybe three people out of like a thousand, right. right? Like the odds of encountering it are really low mm-hmm. and it's really uncommon. The, the the vast majority of people that come out to play are there to have a good time. And usually when people are trying to compete for anything, they're trying to compete for best in faction. Right. It, it's way more chill, right? Like the guy is like, I'm going to be the best orc player. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different, you're, 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 you're competing for a trophy and bragging rights. Right. Um, it's people there just have fun. They're drinking beer and they're enjoying themselves. It's the same attitude as on the AOS side of the hall. Yeah. Um, it's just more of perception. Um, but you know, and again, the only reason that we measure battle points it's as a default objective. is because it's objective. Although I would like, definitely argue that it's only as objective as how balanced the scenarios are. And as soon as you put something like better part of valor in, for example, right? Like yes. your beastmen player just are going to auto win against any small um, like a small model count army or someone who, who relies on bringing their stuff in from off the board. 
But I'm, yeah, not, I'm not I mean, here to argue that one. I did lose Better Part of Valor to a guy playing 140 gore at LVO, but it was a blast when we went to the bar at 10.45. So I'm, I'm, this isn't me complaining. But <laughs> you can also, I just think it's, it's fair to say that battle points are as objective as the scenarios are, which is also sort of proven to be not necessarily that objective. You make an excellent point, right? Like the number one thing to ensure a, a, a fair a relatively fair experience is step one. You want to have a balanced game as much as is possible, but mm-hmm. there's too many variables Which there. That's like not going to happen with GW. Right. <laughs> right. Cause now like, I know I could, I could talk about that a little bit too. Like one of the tools we built with the ITC, which we're porting over to AOS. I'll, I'll come to that in a second. Cause it's really exciting. Yeah. But to your point, you need missions that are relatively fair and balanced. Right. Right. Like people underestimate how important that is and you need good terrain. Like, oh, absolutely. The, and I, I hope you like the train at the LVO because we worked our butts off. No, it was good. There was, there was good coverage. They were, they were well painted. You could play in, on, and around it. It was stuff that I felt like my, my guys could climb on. Not that I tend to play with guys climbing on stuff just because the rules aren't built for that. But I really enjoyed it, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we worked super-duper hard. And um, I like to think that the tables are really aesthetically pleasing and playable mm-hmm. because that's really important to us is to make them pretty and good. But – um, one of the things we've got now that we've rolled out on the 40k side of things, and we're working right now to port it over to AOS, is we uh, in the AO in the BCP app, the mm-hmm. Best Coast Pairings app, which is what most people run their tournaments on now because it's so convenient. Right. Uh, we the guys wrote a script that um, for 40k, if you upload your list in the correct format, the script reads your list mm-hmm. and then puts all that information into a database. Like what units you took, how many models in each unit, what factions, what detachments, even what war gear. Interesting. And then we take that, compile it, look at all of your games and how, you know, who won, who lost by how many points, throw that in the same database. And then we're able to extrapolate out like how balanced the game actually is. And of course we need more data, but we were, we're able to tell on the 40 K side of things that every army is within plus or minus 7% of a 50-50 win ratio. With There's like two outliers on either end of the curve. Right. So it's like, okay, the game actually is pretty balanced, right? Yeah. Like, And then when we can apply that to AOS, it's going to be really exciting. And that's another reason why participating in this is really useful. Um, it's a feedback mechanism. We can also tell you how frequently does X faction win against Y faction. Right. Right. If you go first or second, what's better? What what degree of victory or loss do you tend to have, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do you tend to blow out this faction but barely win to this faction? And, like, we can compile that data and then show it to GW and have them make more informed decisions on how to balance the game with real data based on real games. That sounds like their job. (laughs) Well. But we don't have to get into that. (laughs) You don't have to comment. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm happy to do it because this is – it directly impacts – you know, no, it impacts our fun and, and impacts your business, right? You guys, the success of these games impacts your ability to pay rent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it's, but they they appreciate and recognize the the, the relevance and, and and power of that kind of data. And that's one of the reasons that that's one of the things we're trying to do mm-hmm. is when we get everybody on the same page, talking to each other, working together, we can accomplish great things. Yeah, right? absolutely. More than you could ever do as a small group. Definitely. So. That leads in really well to something else. You sort of touched on this, but I'd love to hear your specific thoughts on how the ITC has influenced the 40K scene. And 
as far as you're concerned, what effects do you feel like it had in in saving, in revitalizing, in <coughs> in growing the 40k scene? And especially if you have data from when you first started the ITC compared to what it is now. And also, if you could talk about how that changed over the, the new editions, because I know people like eighth edition a lot more than they like seventh edition, for example. <coughs> um, I'd love to hear how you have seen that that ITC's effect on the game and on the community. Yeah, so the one thing that we, we got anecdotal evidence of people saying like, I was going to quit, but mm -hmm. I didn't because right. of the ITC. And <clears throat> back then we had an FAQ that like really changed the game a lot. Um, I hope for the better, but not everybody agrees, sure. of course. Uh, but basically we were making like common sense changes. Like if something was absurdly out of whack, mm -hmm. we just said, hey, for the ITC, it doesn't work that way. It works in a way that's more reasonable. Sure. And that, that was, that was like the silver bullet really. It was a combination of accruing points mm -hmm. and then just saying like, cause back then GW was not releasing FAQs period. There was zero FAQs. Right. I remember. And they I wouldn't played, answer rules. I played rules fantasy at the same time as this was happening. It was, yeah. it was a tough time. So, <laughs> so again, there was a vacuum in the marketplace and we had built a big enough bullhorn that we could reach enough people yeah. that whether they agreed with us or not, they would, could hear us and, because again, because I was like, I'm either going to quit the game or we're going to like take this step. So we said, okay, we're just going to try and, you know, quote unquote, fix the rules that we felt needed fixing. Right. But then we engaged the community and we're like, hey, if you're in the ITC, cast your vote, let us know what you think. And that was the way we did things. And it, it more or less, it worked. Yeah. Um, so that was the, the thing that I felt was the most beneficial to the community is that Things that were so obviously ridiculously overpowered or mm -hmm. underpowered were like, let's just fix it. We all agree it's dumb. Right. Like we as a community can come together and just figure it out and do it. And we did. Um, and then, then if, you know, then of course, combining that with, you know, getting cool trophies and getting points and, mm -hmm. and all that. Um, um, we were getting anecdotal evidence, people saying, hey, this is working. Thank you so much. Blah, blah. We also have people telling me like, how dare you? how dare you change the rules? Like, who do you think you are? Are you a jerk? And it's just like, whatever. Then don't play events. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. I was like, if you don't like it, don't participate. Like no one's forcing you to. Right. Uh, but then, and then the thing is too, is that the proof was in the pudding. I was like, if people really thought we were doing something poorly, they wouldn't participate. Right. Right. And, and that was the, the, that was the feedback that really mattered. But then when we started being able to, to track metrics, mm -hmm. we were able to show that as soon as an event put their, um, a store, or an event, put their, their event up in the BCP app. Yep. And we're like, yeah, we're going to be ITC. We, we could prove that they had increased attendance. Sure. So it was like, and that was, and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, look, this works. We can show you it works. Like, you may not agree with everything that we do, which is totally understandable because we're all passionate about this. We all have our own ideas. Mm -hmm. But if we're all willing to compromise just a little bit, everyone's going to benefit. And then it did. And that, that, that was exactly what happened. Definitely. So how many, did you, how many people did you guys have on your first ITC circuit back in what, 2013? Uh, it was 450 people the very first year. And how many part people participated this year in the last circuit? Between AOS and 40K, it was 12,000. Jesus. That's, that's incredible. So do you, I, I personally, as an AOS player, I don't really have a sense of, of where the 40K community is at, but I don't feel like AOS need saving per se and i'm not saying that you you're claiming to save aos you guys have been doing a great job but aos is also a self-sustaining beast How, what do you expect or hope that the itc does for the aos scene because it's gonna it's coming in with a very different set of a sort of market 
conditions compared to when you guys came into 40k it sort of feels like or sounds like at least to a degree 40k needed a bit of saving or the 40k scene needed some some life support what do you what are you expecting or hoping that that the itc can can provide and, and be in the aos scene that's a really good point and it is it's a totally different environment right like aos is largely an awesome game right now like there's a couple things like the realm rules which i think could be adjusted there's a couple factions that don't really function correctly in right. my opinion but generally speaking it's a fun game it's a playable game and it's a growing game sure right so what i think eventually what will happen or my hope at any rate is that people will see that it's more beneficial than not to participate in a global community mm-hmm. um that, that the benefits of pooling all of our resources, all of our brain power is going to be only beneficial and that it's fun to have friendly competition. Right. And then the number one thing that, that we do that works in the ITC is we listen to the people that are participating. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's never a case of like, oh, I'm the, I'm the best, I'm the smartest, I know the, how the best way forward. It's always like, what does everybody think? Okay, let's do that. Right. And it's, it, it works, right? So, um I feel like there's like a stigma in, in some parts of the AOS community of what the ITC is, that it's a, that's a negative or um, it's detrimental to the community. But um, that's just, that's not the case. And I think in time, the truth will, will come out, right? That it's like, if you're not a competitive person, you don't care. It makes zero difference to your experience. Right. Uh, anybody running an event can run the event exactly the way they want to. They don't have to do anything that's, you know, ITC standard, although we just use the community pack that everybody uses well minus the the sportsmanship and the the paint scoring page for for reporting overall right you can report overall if you know i know i know i know the tournaments can i'm just saying in your in your overall rankings it's largely weighted towards battle points and right i I can so speaking from my experience i i spend more of my time playing at tournaments with those people who have a negative perception of the of the itc than with people who are singing his praises just because that's the group that I ran with back in eighth edition. Um, and so, you know, you know, I went to LVO and from personal experience, I, there was definitely a sting for me when I, I saw my friends who worked super hard on their army. They didn't have their, their army paint scored or, you know, they did get a paint score and, you know, they were told, all right, you got a 27 out of 30, great job. And then that difference never showed up in their, in their overall score. And yeah, there's the Renaissance man. And yeah, there's, there's this vestige of what best overall used to be. But I think for some of us, there's the, we're, we're clinging to that notion that, that best overall means best combined of all three of those, those pillars. And without one of those, you're, you're still good, but you, you can't be considered the best overall. And so I think, Speaking from my experience, it's it's tough to to swallow, right? Like that I I lost to somebody by by one battle point, and his army was was you know airbrushed and it looked fine. But I've put you know a hundred hours into converting every stormcast to have a Zangor head, and every single one has you know seven layers of highlights. And you know everyone takes pride in what they're good at. And for those of us who came from the old scene where where the the focus was on the hobby and on sportsmanship. It's it's a tough pill to swallow around change. I I totally get that, and that's it's funny because as we had talked about earlier in the conversation, when I said I feel like the Age of Sigmar community is like three or four years behind where 40k is, and I, I don't mean that as a negative. No, not at all. At all, like I don't mean that to sound like I'm I'm condescending. It's just a progression thing. It is because the 40k community five six years ago um, was in the exact exact same place. Mm-hmm. 
right? Where it was this transition from best overall, which humorously we give the exact same amount of prize support to Renaissance person as we do yeah. to the best general, as we do to best hobbyist. Right. The three are weighted exactly equally, mm -hmm. but for some reason that that never gets mentioned. It's in the same in 40k and in um, Age of Sigmar. Right. That we weight all three categories the exact same amount for like prizes and such. Yeah. But everyone online, what do they talk about? They always talk about who won, right? Right. Like who was the tournament champion or, or whatever. <clears throat> and uh, I could, this is a much longer conversation than we have time sure, for. Of course. But um, when the 40K community transitioned away from the kind of best overall to splitting it up into three categories mm -hmm. and Adepticon, Nova, LVO, kind of like the leaders of the, the big events, mm -hmm. so to speak, in North America. They all do the same thing. They all weight them equally, but the, all the press goes to usually the person who was best uh, general. Oh, sure. But it's not, that's not the way we weight it on the back end, right? It's funny how that works. But the, way, the reason that we moved away from it is that what you're talking about, which I totally understand. I'm a big hobbyist myself. I spend mm -hmm. a lot of time playing. Um, I like to think I'm pretty good, and I, I never <laughs> have sportsmanship issues. The, um, Except the, the when you play a free guild, right? Uh, my free guild army is not painted as well as it could be, but there's so many of those. Oh, no, I'm, just, I'm talking about the sportsmanship of making the decision to take this this dick list that just kicks people. Yeah, the yeah. Shins. I mean, and again, and then that that's that's all that kind of ties into what I'm saying. So, um, the old the old school mentality is that there's these unspoken rules mm -hmm. that are not written anywhere, but that we're all supposed to abide by, and if you don't, you're bad. Right. Um, and then the other part of it too is that. In the 40k scene specifically, I played fantasy in seventh uh, and eighth. Yep. He said if you didn't have a beautifully painted army, you had zero chance of winning anything. Right? Like you lost before you showed up. Sure. You could get best general, but you couldn't. You wouldn't even be top ten because your army no, wouldn't, wouldn't get you not enough even po close. paint points to get best overall. Right. And like I have friends that you know everyone has you know there's, there's people who just don't like to paint. Yeah. Or they can't, or whatever, the blind, you know, who know whatever, freaking right. their hands don't work correctly or whatever. Sure. And it's, you create a scenario in which those people are um, marginalized, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they can never win, ever. And then you have the guy who goes 5-0, and oh, his army's painted mediocre, but then he gets like 50th place and he feels disenfranchised. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's like... What, it, there's pros and cons to every way of doing it. And that's why in the, in the 40K community, we separated it into three equal categories. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they just don't get equal billing. And that's not because of anything that we've done. It's just that the community tends to gravitate towards that, the online community anyway. Yeah. I wonder if that's not a factor of, of people having a really fixed idea of I can be a good painter or I'm not the, I don't have the personality to be a best sport but anybody can build a list and play it well. Like if I practice a list enough, I'm gonna get good and I can win with it. But people don't take necessarily that same mentality towards painting. Like they say, I'm just not good at it, or I just don't have the patience, or I'm just not the outgoing type that does cartwheels and wins sportsmanship awards. Right. I wonder well, if that's not, that's not a factor. And it's also, it's harder to have a discussion online about like, well, here were the things I did to try to make myself a better sportsman and analyze it over the course of a season and see the progression. But with a list, you can say, well, I tweaked this thing. I took out that item. I made this It's very change. objectively measurable. Right? right. And everyone can – it's also objectively repeatable. Yeah. Well, it's funny too though now because with the data that we're gathering, we're able to show that the list isn't what matters even though anybody's a 
been involved in the hobby for any amount of time knows this to be the case. Right. We, we can actually show that people with the exact same list, right, that came into it with a track record of, track record of sec- success behind them. Mm-hmm. Basically, we took the top, like, 150 players in the ITC and then compared their performance at the LVO compared to everybody else. Yeah. Even with the exact same army, even to the point where it was almost the same list, they won 30% of the time more frequently. So it's like, it, it really is not the list, it's the player. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it comes down to like how well you know your matchups and how well you, you've prepared in every given scenario. Um, 100%. Did you, I don't know if you listened to this, Relian did an interview on AOS Shorts, I think, and he talked about getting reps with an army and getting reps with, yep. with a list. And it's, it's exactly what it is, right? Like I, I played Blades of Corn for three or four years and I was going four and one at every tournament I went to, if not five and oh at a couple. And then as soon as I switched armies, I dropped down to two and three, even though I worked way harder on that list and I thought so much about it, just knowing which pieces to put where, how to use them in each matchup and what they could and couldn't do is such a big thing. You can't, you can't replace experience. No, we've been saying that forever. I'm like, people are always like, oh, what's your list tech? And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I'm too old. Like, <laughs> I'm like, just practice your list. That's all you have to do, My man. I'm like, if you want the, the most surefire. In the last three or four weeks, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and, and now, because like a lot of the, because we have a game store, obviously, and so I'm constantly seeing new people come into the hobby. Mm-hmm. A lot of the kids now, because um, I'm, I'm an old grognard too. Like, yeah. I've been playing since the 80s. And a lot of the kids coming now, they're kind of like the, the quote unquote video game generation. Right. A lot of them have like literally zero interest in painting. Like they, they just don't like, they want to get it to the point where it looks cool. They'll pay someone else to do it. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll dink around with it a little bit. And some kids love it. It's great for you, it. right? Because you've also got a full stable of painters. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're like slaves. I'm like, I, <laughs> I, they don't just paint everything like at a whim. I'm like, paint this model peon. Like, no, you, you feed them. You, you let them, you, you unchain them for two hours a day to stretch their legs, right? Yeah. That's not the way. That's not, I, I pay them the same rate everybody else does, but <laughs> it's just, it's, I think that there's, a, there's been a transition away from kind of the way things were right. um, for better or for worse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, love it or let or, or hate it that's just kind of i think that's just the way the wind is blowing um if i can step on my soapbox for a minute to talk about how awful millennials are everything <laughs> is about cell phones and having instant gratification and that's yeah. just not what the game used to be but it's changing and we have to adapt or die yeah and it, the thing is like i you you always have to em- emphasize the aesthetics of the game you have to mm-hmm. right because that's that's the thing that initially draws everybody in that's why at the OVO, we had a, we raised the bar tremendously on what, like, if your models aren't three colors and base, we are pulling them off the table. There you go. Like, everything has to be WYSIWYG. Like, we really made it, we raised the bar tremendously, like, to where it hasn't been that high in a long time. Yeah. Um, and, and we're really trying to emphasize that, like, we went out of our way to make sure the tables were themed and that they looked beautiful. Oh, that's, the, that's, the, that's, I didn't have the, the water table was awesome. In right? The US side. And we, because we want people to, to come. It, but yeah, it was great looking. You want to have that immersive experience, right? Because like you said, you spend all this time painting your army. You need to come into an event knowing that your opponent's army will at least be acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. And that the table is going to look cool and that you're going to have an immersive experience. That's critically important. And then you also need to make sure that people are behaving themselves and acting like adults. 
Yeah, right? well, that leads right into my next question. Talk to me about this code of conduct. How did how did this come about? Who was involved with putting it together? What what did you guys think about when putting this together? Yeah, so the code of conduct came about largely is because the community literally asked us to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 40k community or, or both? Uh, it was both. Okay. I would call it the match play community. Right. Because um, we had uh, there was a couple of issues in multiple different events where mm-hmm. some poor sportsmanship kind of put a negative spin on it and it made people kind of go like, oh, I don't even know if I want to go to a match play event because it seems like it's full of jerks right. and it would just, it made the whole scene look bad. Mm-hmm. And so people were asked, they say, you know, can we, can we do something about this? And we're like, okay. So in the, the ITC tournament organizers group, uh, which is cross discipline, it's Shadespire, 40k, um, AOS. Right. Um, we were like, hey, let's put our heads together and come up with a document. And so it was a, it was a group effort, and um, it was co-written by like 30 people. Okay. And it was based off soccer, um, and we took a lot of ideas from the ETC. Right. Um, and it's a yellow card, red card system, and basically it's like, it's basically don't be a dick, right? right? And then there's some structural things like, you know, if you have a model that's not WYSIWYG, you know, you might get a yellow card. Um, if you didn't submit your list on time, you you can get a yellow card, right? Right. Uh, but mostly it's behavioral mm-hmm. stuff, like don't cheat. And we try to very clearly define everything. And it, it's been extremely well received because it gives the judge a very clear guideline right. for how to deal with this. Because a lot of people are non-confrontational. They don't want to do it. Totally. I'm that way. I can't even yeah, tell my Yeah, totally. Most people are, right? Like, and, I need to, I've been working on that. And it... So if everybody's aware of it, if the players and the judge come to it and they go, oh, wow, there's this tried and true, like, guidelines. And the player's like, oh, if I do X, Y is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It makes it very clear cut and it makes it very easy to resolve difficult confrontational situations. Mm-hmm. And then it gives you grounds to remove somebody from the event if it comes to that. Right. And so for the most part, it's when you say it's, it's yellow card, red card, it's actually more of a three strikes or out situation, right? Because you get a yellow card. You get a second one, and then the third one is disqualification. Yeah, yeah, it's three and strikes and you're out. Yeah, and the reason we did that is for one, it's new. For two, there's like structural issues. Like, like I said, like if you don't submit your list on time, okay, mm-hmm. well, what did you do before? It usually took away points from somebody. That yeah. sucks. That means they might lose the event, and that was what normally people did. Now it's like, you know, I'm going to give you a yellow card, and the player's like, okay, right? If you're not a jerk, it doesn't matter. Sure. Right. But if but you if it, are if it someone with something else, yeah, then it, then it can it can result in you not winning the tournament or getting yeah. tournament. It just it gives a mechanism by which for the judge to take an appropriate action that's clearly defined, mm-hmm. and it, it just it helps. And then what the other step of it too is we log every card and why it was given, right? And then we have a spreadsheet that we share amongst other TOs, like. Not not to shame anybody, but sure. it's it's for accountability. It's like saying, "Hey, I noticed this guy signed up for your tournament. We want to make sure that you know this guy has this guy has a history of not turning in lists. So make sure you kick him out as soon as he doesn't turn it in." Right, or this guy has a history <laughs> of of sports of of other players saying, "I really didn't enjoy my game." Sure, sure. So be aware of this. Or if you got a red card, maybe you go, "Hey, you know what? Anybody who got a red card in the last 30, 60 days, whatever, we don't we don't allow it to come." Yeah. And then it, it gives a feedback mechanism to that player to go like, oh, wow, there's real consequences for my behavior. Yeah. yeah. But then on the reverse end of it, if we notice a TO that's firing out cards left and right, we can be like, hey, dude, what are you doing? Right. You know, like, it, it gives accountability and protection for both parties. Sure, it, it goes both ways. 
So it's it's interesting because I so I read through the code of conduct on my grumpy Saturday night at LVO after the the incident with the the two top eight players who got who got knocked out of of top eight. Uh, and what was interesting was it looked like there's a lot of stuff in there that is still and I know that the goal of the, having the code of conduct is to give an objective way to measure someone's sportsmanship or measure someone's if they're if they're fit to be part of the community or not is, is sort of how right. I read it right or like fit to be at this tournament let's say uh, right. there's a lot of stuff in there that seems very situational and one of the things that, that really stood out to me was was a section on colluding because it's defined in there as either agreeing to an outcome or agreeing to give your opponent a secondary objective for example which is incredibly common in the tournament circuit right and if if you're playing a game and you're having a good time with your opponent and the game comes to a pretty natural conclusion, but there's still a turn or two left, but the main objective is settled and I know I'm going to lose by 30 points and I can't come back at that point. At that point, it's pretty common for, for in, in my experience, to have a conversation and say, well, here was my second objective. I was probably going to be able to do this. And your opponent says, yeah, you probably would have. And I probably wasn't going to get mine, but if you let me, I would get this guy off the table right here. And you say, yeah, that's fine. Let's go get a beer. And, and that would be a yellow card. And, and so I know that that behavior is, is not really, and it, like maybe it's frowned upon in the code of conduct, but it doesn't sound like it's being terribly heavily enforced. Otherwise I would have been kicked out of the tournament after, you know, day one. Um, and I know it's, it's, it's pretty common practice, but at the same time you have players who are on top tables who agree to a draw and then end up coming back to the table to play their game because they're informed that they would be, be kicked out of the tournament. I wonder if you could shed some light on how how you guys are trying to to keep those equivalent or keep them keep it fair and not just have it be objectively or have it be more subjective and up to the TO if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense and that's a really good perspective and one that I hadn't actually heard, but it, it it's something that we encounter all the time. It happens all the time in 40k and in on the 40k side we actually have rules in place to allow you to collude legally at the mm-hmm. end of the game. Okay. Right? So it's the the difference here is that if it's the last turn of the game, right, and you guys look at the table and you're like, okay, we already know what's going to happen, right, then you can go, uh, you would have got this, I would have got that, let's shake on it, we're done, cool, right, right. That even though that's technically colluding, it's explicitly allowed in the rules. Mm-hmm. On the AOS side of it, um, I don't believe Scott had that worked into his pack yet, right, but that was the intent. And then with the code of conduct, like, it's it it lays out like. Here's the, the as clear as possible guidelines, but it's still up to the judge's discretion how to react because any time you have human beings interacting, it's always fuzzy. Right. You know, um, so in the instance in question, the, the, the difference mm-hmm. here is that they agreed to the outcome before they played the game. Right. And then within 10 minutes, and I, I'm not trying to demonize these guys. Both of them are my friends. I like them and I genuinely believe they didn't, they just didn't know what they were doing. Right. Um, but... <clears throat> when you have two guys agreeing to an outcome so that they both get a beneficial result Mm -hmm. and they do it within 10 minutes of the game beginning and then they go get a beer. Right. That's the kind of collusion that is explicitly disallowed. Right. Uh, And the reason why it's, it's not okay. Right. Is that because of that action, somebody who was playing a game fairly Mm -hmm. was denied a spot in the top eight. Right. Because they took two spots when really it should have only been one of them. And then somebody else who was playing their best and doing everything by the rules now completely unfairly had their opportunity to get to that final eight spot taken away from them. Right, because they, they didn't have 
even even if they got a win, they weren't going to be able to get. So it was irrelevant, right? right they're they no longer had agency or control of their own destiny. It relied on someone else not doing this thing. Right, right. And so to to those guys' credit, they both took it like adults. Right. Um, everyone were still friends. Right. And they now clearly understand, but it's just it's not okay, right? Like, um, so here's here's a follow up question though. They went to the bar, and. 45 minutes later, one of these guys, his friends text him and say, hey, you can't do that. You're going to, the, the TOs are going to, are going to disqualify you. Come back and play your game. And they come back and they set up their, they set up their game and the result is a draw. Now, I understand that that looks awful. And especially at an event like LVO, where you really, you want to make sure that every outcome is beyond reproach with the history you guys have had with, with some players who are, are making questionable decisions. Right. I know you guys want to make sure that any result, anybody who takes the top awards is beyond reproach. But the fact that they yep. went back to the table, to me, says something else. Right? Like that, that tells me, I, and like, I guess everything is about perspective. You can see it as they went back to the table to make it look like they played, they moved models around, and then they still reported a draw. Or you can see it as they went back, they wanted to, to fix the error, and they actually got a draw. I've looked at the list and the math looks right, but you know, one of them is one of my good friends. He, if he tells me we really drew, I'm going to believe him because he's my friend, right? I'm, I'm curious uh, if that the follow-up to the event of them coming back to the table to play and trying to to show that they were in good faith playing a game and and trying to decide a winner, if that changes it to you at all, or as soon as they went to the bar and reported their scores in the BCP app. The answer was pretty much in, and they probably shouldn't have even come back and made it more arguable, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and like I said, I, I know both these guys. Like, one of them I've known for years and years. Sure. And if they told me that they played to a tie, I would take them at face value as well. But mm -hmm. the fact is that the, they'd, they'd already done the deed. Um, and if you you can't be a paper tiger with these kind of issues. Like, right. if all it takes is someone to go like, oh, oops, let's, we'll make it better. Yeah. Then you'd have to excuse everybody, right? No, otherwise now I'm, you're now you're you're, you're showing favorites. You're setting a very dangerous precedent, right? And it sucked. I did. I was the bearer of the bad news, right? I, I did not enjoy that in the slightest. Sure. Because like the thing is like we're running a business. Like my my job is to make sure people that come to the event have fun. They're paying money, taking vacation, time away from family and work. The last thing on earth I want to do is for someone to walk away from it saying they had, they had a bad time and they're not coming back. Right. Right. But all the other people, cause they did it very publicly. Mm -hmm. Everyone around them now has lost faith in everything that we're doing. Right. So yeah. every other person in that event is like, why am I even bothering? If people can just choose to, to make it to the finals without playing, this is totally unfair. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a an oversimplification, right? Both these guys had played four games to that point and were had had won all their games. But your point is lost on me that it's it's an unfair way to to approach what's supposed to be a fully competitive environment where everyone plays all their games and based on the results of all your games, you you get placed in top eight or not. But right, it's also and the narrative would have been to say that. They, the narrative would have been cheaters make top eight at totally. LVO. No, absolutely. And I, you know what I mean? The optics, the optics are bad one way or the other. Yeah, it sucks. And like one of the players came up to me, he's like, I play magic and this is totally acceptable. And I was like, yeah, but in magic, you play the best two out of three. In Age of Sigmar, 
you play two or three games in a day because it right. takes three hours to play the game. Yeah. I was like, you just, you can't, right? If it was a 15 minute game, whatever, like it's not a big deal, but because it's such an investment, you, you, you got to play it out. Yeah. Uh, especially at that point when you're, you're in a position to win the whole thing. It's also tough because when you, when you look at these rulings that come down, right. As a, as a TO, it's really, it's gotta be hard. I think about Scott in his position, right. He spent, hours laboring on this terrain to make the tables look wonderful and he's put his heart and soul into making this this tournament a marquee event and he's done everything he can to promote it and to make sure everyone's having fun and to be kind to his players every single thing he can do and then to see players who are competing for top awards you know have that the game doesn't actually matter it's not about the game mentality i could see that being really frustrating for him too so you have to empathize for scott I definitely get that it it looks bad and it, it almost seems like a slight or a disrespect to the tournament for pe- for players to say, we understand the math here and we're, we don't care that we're supposed to play a game. So I definitely yeah, get I, that. I, I'm not, I'm not unsympathetic to that side as well. It was a gut punch for Scott. He was really upset for like, I would say a good week, week and a half afterwards. Every mm-hmm. time I saw him, he would like bring it up and it was really bumming him out. Yeah. Because it, it does, it casts a negative um, pall over the event. And not, not that I enjoy doing it in the slightest, because I didn't, but um, a, any other gamer at the event that, that, that talked to me about it said thank you mm-hmm. uh, for handling it the way that we did, because it made them feel like there was integrity in the event. So, um, again, I'm not trying to make those guys sound bad. Like, I genuinely no, think they're they both assholes. Compare. You can say it. I'm just kidding. No, yeah. I love them both. No, no, I, I like them both. And I, I think that they, they just weren't not aware of the rule which makes it sort of tragic because yeah. um, I think if they were aware of the rule, they wouldn't have done it. I agree. Uh, because I know, so I know one of them is planning on playing at a, a large scale uh, competitive tournament. And one of them has played in that event in the past. And it's very commonplace in that specific, very large scale Warhammer event to look at your position, look at what you stand to lose and then say to your opponent, do you want to take a draw? And you both say, okay, and go to the bar. Like I've, I've seen, I've physically seen that happen with top level competitive players at this, at this event. So it's not, when I say this event, I don't mean LVR, I mean this other large scale event that I'm trying not to identify right now. But so it's, it's even common in that sense. And it was, it wasn't an uncommon thing to see in, in eighth edition. Um, but it also sort of depends on, on the group you run with, because some people would, would say, Hey, you want to take a draw? I'll buy a beer. And you know, your opponent says, screw you. I showed up to play. We're playing our game. And the other half would say like, I'm actually here for the beers and the friendship the game is sort of secondary and neither of us is in contention. Let's go get a beer. So it's, I definitely can see where the miscommunication or like the misunderstanding came from. And I also, I understand your decision. I just wanted to give you a chance to sort of talk it through um, and for us to talk a little bit more about how the, the code of conduct comes into play with that. Yeah, no, it's, I'm glad you did because you brought a perspective to it that is relatively fresh. Um, you came at it from a different angle and I appreciate that because when it comes to sportsmanship issues, it's pretty much a lose-lose in always, right? It's not fun. It's not uh, fun but thankfully, they're really rare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's, sportsmanship is probably the one thing compared to all the other facets of the game that have more feelings involved than anything else. Like there's, there's always pride involved with, with uh, you know, your battle points, and there's pride involved with the work you put into the hobby. When it comes to sportsmanship, though, it's almost – you're not just evaluating, did I have a good time? You're evaluating, like, 
somebody on the very core level of do I like this person? Did I have fun with this person? Would I want to play this person again? And those are things that can be really hurtful. Uh, so like thinking about sportsmanship is, it's touchy for sure. Yeah, and that's why we removed the sportsmanship scores because it's so, it obviously, it honestly it very frequently backfires, right? Because mm -hmm. we were collecting some data on it and the average person just gives you a top score always, right? And then there's the couple of people who actually follow the rules and don't give you a top score. And if you're unlucky enough to play them, you just got screwed. And then, yeah. right. And then, but they're, they're literally just following the rules, but everyone else is trying to be nice. So without even looking at it, you're like, yep, full sport, full sports. And then you have every now and then the person who uses it as a weapon yeah. to hurt you. Right. And we just, we tried to do it seven ways to Sunday. And we were like, this None metric doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Why don't we assume everybody is a baseline of a good person and then we'll go from there. But I think with AOS too, like you could, there's definitely room for like a best sportsman award, mm -hmm. favorite opponent. But um, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole too, like there's a lot of people in our community that are autistic mm -hmm. and it's like, you can never expect somebody with Asperger's or autism to relate to you on a level playing field with everybody else. Right. And it's like the sportsmanship score just is not fair to people like that. Right. Sure. So, but I get it. I get it that it, the game is about camaraderie and friendship. And that's why I go to events. I don't go to win. It's been right. forever since I won an event. It's you go to have fun. Right. So it's just like, how do you encourage that? And there's, you know, many different ways to do it. Um, and this is where we're at at this point in time. And if a better system comes along, I'm all ears. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because it is, it's verging on actual evening. Do you have any, um, any questions for me or anything you want to talk about, about either the LVO or the ITC before we go, or just want to want to plug that website and your painting service and the different tournaments you guys are running one more time? Did you enjoy yourself at the LVO? Oh, I had a great time. I think, uh, I think, perfect. um, it's, it's tough for me to get out of my mindset of best overall should mean the combination of all three awards. And that's, that may be something that I never get over. Uh, so like when, you know, in 2020 or 2050, when, when the ITC and Games Workshop are one entity and it's still, there's still three awards for best general, best paint and best sports. And the one that gets the most press is still best general. It's still going to bug me, you know, in 35 <laughs> years. Um, but that's mainly because I don't put in the time to win games. I put in the time to, to be friendly and do cartwheels and, and learn to paint. <laughs> and then, you know what? You won't be alone. Um, you will not be alone in that. I just, I, and I say it not, I, I just feel like that the, the tide is shifting away from that with time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, who knows? Right. That's, like, right. And that's, that's where, where my buy-in to the, to the community comes. But I, I can appreciate that we're bringing new people in by being more competitive and the closer we get to perfectly objective and the closer we get to perfectly competitive then the closer we can get to being supported and being, being feasible like a league of legends or like Starcraft is in, in South Korea. But one other thing that I do want to say to answer your question, because I did have a ton of fun. I just don't think I'm built for Vegas because Vegas is a town that is designed to say, Yes, all those all those awful things you think in the very back of your mind that you would never do. <laughs> yes. And you're going to come to this tournament with all of your guy friends and you're going to leave your wife at home and you have a debit card. And I just don't know that like I could get out of Vegas again with 
all of my soul intact, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's like it's like New Orleans. I refuse to go back to that town unless I'm with my wife or with my parents. Like I I need somebody there who is going to morally force me to make the right choices because I know that they're there. But without them there, I don't know that I'm a strong enough person to do it. And that's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's why we set up the significant other events from the very first year, from the very first year of the OVO, we were like, this place is so much fun, but there's a lot of temptation. Mm-hmm. We're like, bring your significant other. And we have daytime events organized for them to go on. I didn't even know you guys had those. Oh, they're super fun. My, my sister runs them uh-huh. and she's really, really outgoing and fun. Yeah. And uh, now in year, what, six, seven. Yeah. A lot of the, the girls, like, no, they, well, you don't have to be a girl, obviously, anybody can sure. go, but it's mostly gr- wives and girlfriends. Right. Now, they've, like, they have, like, a Facebook group, and they, like, look forward to seeing each other every year, and a lot of guys are, like, stoked because, like, my wife is like, oh, when's the LVO? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you won. Sounds like you did it right. Yeah, and, it, and we did that for just that purpose because right. some people are not comfortable with their spouse going to Vegas. And it's like, well, just come along. And then, but you know, you're not a gamer, but here's lots of fun stuff to do with other people that are probably very similar to you. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And if you want to get in touch with Reese, you can find all their contact info uh, at frontlinegaming.org. And if you would like to send me any questions, comments, concerns, or giant email tirades because you hated the way I interviewed him, you can reach me at <laughs> of Sigmar on Twitter, and our email address is rageofsigmarpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, Reese. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hang on. <laughs> Are you ripping on a bong, dude? This <laughs> sounds like. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Anyway. All right. So we're back from that interview with Reese. Riveting stuff. Time travel. Yeah. Around, editing the power yeah. of technology. So everyone who's listening, we didn't just do it now. I listened to it like four days ago. So magic, magic of editing. Um, so I'm just going to weigh in real quick. I think Reese is right in every way that he's come at it. And he's coming at uh, Age of Sigmar in the way that he went at 40K, which is a good thing. But the thing about, um, to me, personally, I've always felt slighted by the 40k community. Like, mm. 
I mean, it's just an American thing or where I was living at the time, but a lot of those dudes were dicks. <laughs> so like, <laughs> like I'm, Oh, if you play 40 K, don't be personally offended. You're probably just an asshole, but there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> but like, like ITC is a good thing for 40 K, but I don't think that doing the same thing for two separate game systems is a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. we should have something different than ITC. And I think ITC is great for like, like reset. You do it however you want. If you want to run your event, have it completely based on sports, you can still s- submit that to ITC and it's going to mm-hmm. work the same way. Right. But I think it, it's like, like I'm, I'm anti cash prize. I'm glad Reese is, doesn't want to shell out any money for that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that works for me. Yeah, it's good. If, if he saves money and we have less cash prizes, I'm okay with it. Um but on the overall like he basically like picked it up by the bootstraps and did what he had to do for his community and he made his community into something that people in this community find much more enjoyable. And that's yeah. that's exactly what we should all be trying to do uh in our community as Age of Sigmar players and in mm-hmm. You should always be trying to improve the quality of the environment and the experience for everyone else around you. I think you make a good point, though, that the fact that he's approaching it the same way he approached 40K, it makes sense why he's doing that, but yeah, I also he, can see... He's seeing like it as, like, a, this worked. Why am I going to do it different? Right. Which is fine. Like, yeah, it worked for you guys, and it worked for 40K, which is a way overpower-gamed, super competitive... Mm-hmm. more less gentleman like like i mean i've played pickup game on like a tuesday night where the guy just took all my shit off in one turn and i was like yo dude what was the fucking point of that yeah well what's more important to me is how he responded right like did did he did he seem like he even gave a crap that you you didn't have a good play experience and you didn't do anything no yeah it was that's how it was where i was living at the time Right, like, he like he, this, that was an ego stroke for him, and now he feels better and, about himself. And also, the 40k community in the area that I had played in, like that, was also like those guys went to LVO. That's it. Mm-hmm. They didn't travel for tournaments, you know. And it wasn't even just those guys went to LVO. It was like five of them went to LVO. Yeah, and the rest of it was like, who's the best guy in that town? And it's like, right. yo, I don't need that, bro. I do this shit for fun. I'm not, I don't give a fuck about you or the way you deal with it. And like my, my ego investment in this is not what I'm getting out of it. That's not the point of this. And like I like when like Reese was talking about like not factoring in pain, like having a pain award, but having it not factor in like, we're going to become war machine. If we're like, that. Mm-hmm. like I know three color minimum. Oh, three color minimum, dude. So I could take black spray paint, then hit it at a 45 with like a, a red spray paint and then do an orange at a 90 degree from the top down. And that's three color minimum. Yeah, that's no, you're right. So, yeah, I I have mixed feelings on the three color minimum idea because I think it actually it only applies to a few people, and those people know who they are. They're they're the ones who don't really want to do the work. And they're to to have a dick measuring contest about the list that they built. I think we tend as a community to hold each other to pretty pretty high standards when it comes to our paint. Outside of ITC environments, right? Like when you go to Adepticon, yeah. when you go to, like when I went to Renegade, right? Like people, well, I guess Renegade was an ITC event, but like there's the plenty mid, of events the that are not like. always had some pretty standout painters. Exactly. Like those guys. And then when you're playing in a community that has like those, 
Mm-hmm. And your army looks kind of like you rushed your army or you didn't give a shit about it or you dry brushed the whole thing. You're going to go, look at their shit, look at your shit, look at their shit, and go, you know, I'm going to try and get better at this. And that's yeah, what happened yeah. with me. Because, like, the first Warhammer tournament I went to, my army wasn't nicely painted. It was just mm-hmm. painted at my ability. And I didn't really care. They were game pieces. And I went right. to an event and I played Tony Pacheco round one, who has, like, some of the nicest painted models out of anyone I know. And Tony was like, yeah, you know, I just, you know, whatever. I paint my free time. Or I was like, holy shit, dude. I, you know, he was kind of like, gave me the motivation to be like, I'm going to be a better painter. Absolutely. And hanging out with that kind of person is going to help you get better because they're going to give you feedback. And you also, because you look up to them as hobbyists, when they give you positive feedback on the hard work you're putting in, it makes you want to do it more. It's addictive to hear people say nice things about your army. I know. And also, I'm really upset that you said look up to people and talking about Tony Pacheco because it's impossible (laughs) for me to ever look up to Tony Pacheco. Oh, that was mean. Saying that joke's going to go over his head. <laughs> we love you, Tone. We should be better friends. Yeah. I feel like we're coming up short in that I, apartment. I'm staying. I'm staying in this hotel room at Adepticon, and like I'm feeling that I'm just going to be sleeping in the middle of the night and get like punched a bunch of times. Call me short again. Like, <laughs> just him and Urban curb stomping you. Yeah, the two shortest guys I know. Oh god. <laughs> Like, they could chicken fight me, and I just don't need anyone on my shoulder. <laughs> oh, God. You should tell them you won't stand for it. <laughs> oh, God. Small world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really great what, what uh, Tony and Joe do for the community. Cause it's nice to see the Lollipop Guild representing in the AOSC. <laughs> oh, my God. I really... <laughs> they're going to beat the shit out of me while I'm sleeping. I know it. Uh, it's going to be... Worse, too, because they're so much closer to the ground that I have to reach as far to hit you. <laughs> I know. They're going to they're gonna get me on the ground game. Yeah. Uh, All right, Boz Rootin. <laughs> All right. Anything else you wanted to say about that interview? I think ITC is a good thing for branding, for the exposure your events are going to get. Mm-hmm. And Reese also offering all out for nothing, for free. And he pretty much does that all for free, right? Yes, until you think about they're probably making money selling their ITC terrain packs. They're probably making money on yeah, but like you don't ha- you don't have to buy that. You could no, say you're, you're you could say right. I run this event. I already have all this shit. Like, can you just put the stamp on it? We'll follow your code of conduct, and then they promote you for free. Yeah, which is fine and cool. And I mean, Reese is a businessman, dude. He's running a business. ITC just happens to be a part of it. And it's great branding. It's it's great um, promotion for his his company where people are going to buy their models from. They're also going to get commission painted from. So it's, it's all a good idea. And he seems like a pretty legit dude. I've talked to him in person a couple times at LVO. Nice guy. Yeah. Um, and I think what he did for 40K is commendable. And I just want to see Age of Sigmar be more about the soft scores than it is. Yeah, so I guess... My takeaway from this is that we need to, it's not putting pressure on ITC to include sports and paint. It's making sure we pressure TOs to make the tournaments the way we want to see them. Yeah. And if they don't include sports and paint, we need to tell them either, like, look, I need you to have this, or, like, I'm voting with my dollars, I'm not coming to your tournament. And, like, maybe maybe that's dumb, maybe that's, like, me excluding myself doesn't hurt them because at the end of the day, they still had their 59 players instead of 60. But the more we advocate for tournaments, including all of those, and reporting best overall as we think it should be presented, 
the more we're going to see that represented in ITC because ITC takes whatever rankings they're given. Yeah, and also I another thing I noticed about what Reese said, I was just thinking about about how sports isn't really objective, right? How it's like like people are just going to give you a good sports vote if you were an okay game and not follow the rubric, and mm-hmm. like that's fine, but like having if someone was a dick your whole game and you have to like call the T over and be like, this guy being an asshole. Yeah. Like they have to be a real asshole for that. And then they only get a foul. Yeah. But in eighth edition, if I ever had to get, if someone was giving me a bad game and I had to go get the TO, that was yeah. a problem. Yeah. It was that, serious. Guy, that guy was a real problem. Like I remember one uh, West coast GT. It was, Phil Ostrack, and I only remember his name because I ran into him at LVO, and some mm-hmm. other dude had, like, the worst game I've ever heard of. Bad was playing next to him, and he was like, yo, those guys hated each other. They were, like, <laughs> they were literally filling out their, cor- their scores and being like, yeah, well, you're a fucking asshole or whatever. And, like, <laughs> yo, to me, like, if I was running an event and I had two guys like that, I'd be like, all right, you both are you're gone. Both of you are gone now. I don't need you. Right. You know, or don't come back. This is it. Don't come back. And that was a one-time experience, a one-time thing, you know? Right. And in ITC, that might, I mean, like it's a a lot of the packs is up to the TO's discretion, Mm -hmm. but most TO's are like, they're trying to please as many people as they can. Also reset, like in the interview, like a lot of members of our community are, aren't assertive. Some of them have, you know, social issues. Right. And you know, in the long run, like you have to, people play like kind of like a they they put like I don't want to say pussyfoot, but that's the only thing I can think of right now. They they kind of tread lightly. Yeah, they like they don't want to offend. They want to just be nice and have a have a game and not and avoid confrontation at all costs. That's why that's why most people are playing war games and not playing football. Yeah, <laughs> but also like for me, being the way I am from like going to union meetings and like getting on the mic and like being a hundred percent confrontational. Yeah, being confrontational like. Like if I ran an event, I fuck you, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out. Like, you know what I mean? like, so I think I think having... how many people entered? Sixty. How many drops? We only had two. How many people finished? Fourteen. <laughs> yeah, I booted everybody else. But no, it's it's the truth, dude. Like right, like we we a lot of us have been ejected in life, mm-hmm. so it's hard for us to be assertive and like. But when someone's being a dick, you need to be like, hey man, what's up? Right. That's all you need to do. Am I? Did I do something to offend you? Are you right. having a bad day? Are you sick? Are you hungover? If that's what it is, it's easier to say that than to go like five games where you're like, this is hell. I'm in hell. This guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, you're too timid to say to the TO, like, yo, that was a really bad game. That guy gave me a really bad time. Well, and I think, I think voting on best sports is subjective. 100%. I agree with the reasoning there. And it, it definitely, there's a lot of room for improvement. But I, one thing I think is a lot less subjective is what a bad game is like. You, you know, know a bad game. game. You know a bad experience. You know when you've been cheated or when you've been been taken advantage of, right? Oh, you know that. You feel that. And I think that's the side that might need a little bit more focus is like thumbs up, thumbs down works fine. And if you give a thumbs down, what what was going on? How did this person make it a bad game so that they can address it or – make it more than just a, you get three strikes. So that person can give three people bad games before they get kicked out. Yeah. I think, I think saying like you have a, this, my opponent wasn't a dick box. You could check. Mm -hmm. Then you have like, 
my you vote your favorite whoever your favorite was gets a vote and that's how sure. you decide decide best sports right right and then like you have like a there was an issue box and then you yeah. have like a like you can a fill list in, of things that could be like yeah. oh my opponent was late that's not a big deal dude shit happens people are late they lose track of time they get in lunch there's a line whatever all right? right then you have like my opponent was slow play that's objective you know mm-hmm. so that's not a big deal if you get one or two of those like oh right like, but if but it when was you're like, my, my opponent, opponent slow played and he fudged his measurements and, and he was a dick he smoke breaks yeah so that's that's where you 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 figure it out and like it's kind of sad me that there's been an independent tournament scene for tabletop war games for this long and we still haven't been able to figure out like the best way to judge how somebody is but i think everyone goes the basic normal guy who's going to tournament is going in there with the best intentions yeah. Like maybe like 5% at most are not going there with like to make sure like everyone has a good time. Right. And then that 5% can be easily rooted out or e- easily kind of like called on their bullshit when you're like, mm-hmm. all right, he was a bad game and here's why. Like I did or I did not enjoy myself and here's why. And then right. like as the TO, it's your job because if you're running an event, you should be socially adept enough to go, well, why is this guy in four or two or three or whatever, how many ever games, a percent of his games coming back with negative scores, that guy's yeah. a problem. When you get one, like you could one do, bad game could just be like you had a bad morning or you guys you, didn't jive. Yeah, people don't always get along, dude. That's I know how I am. Like I come to some. Sometimes I have to like along with anybody. <laughs> yeah, no. Sometimes I have to call like stop myself in the middle of the game and be like, I don't think this guy is reading me right. Yeah, and let me kind of work on it yeah you know because some a lot of people don't get when i'm joking you know? <laughs> like, right <laughs> so i'll say shit and people will just look at me and be like i'm just fucking with you bro like I'm i don't think you should put a musket in your mouth I'm, that's not what i'm really saying oh my god stop bringing that up nope i'm, I'm about to do it i also so I, I think i mentioned this in the interview i do think that citing sportsmanship and paint as being subjective while battle is always objective, I think is it's it's a false equivalency because battle isn't objective. I, I agree, right? Because there's times where you uh, collude and agree on things. Sure, there's scenarios. Every scenario advantages somebody. No yeah. scenario is perfect. Yep. Um, realm rules, like depending on what what realm you're playing in and like what. So I, are in I don't like realm rules because I never remember that they even exist. Yeah, it's remember hammer. It's what we always talk about. Yeah, but, like, most people don't either. So what's annoying about it is when you're playing a game and then a situation comes up where, like, realm rules have not mattered. It's round four. Something important is about to happen, and your opponent goes, well, there's these realm rules that let me do this. And it's like, well, we didn't play with them at all this whole game, and now suddenly, you know what I mean? Like, I would, You were waiting for your chance. It's, yeah. a bit, it's a bit of a gotcha, even though both have access to it. But I feel like a, someone who plays Nagash is going to know the realm spells and know what they can do, or they a good Nagash player is going to know what those do and use those and abuse those because he casts eight times at plus four a turn, yeah. right? Like it's not it's not the same as a Stormcast player who has two casters and they each cast one spell. I'm not going to cast more than a realm spell a turn. I know one realm spell in fire; it's the good one. I know one realm spell in shadow; it's the good one. Yeah. But like, there's others that are good enough. If you have extra cast, you can use and potentially abuse them. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a 
complain because I'm not as good at the game or as remembering. Or also that I go to these things and my my, my main goal is to consume it's to, beer. Right, right. <laughs> it's not to use brain cells, but to lose brain cells. Yeah. There you go. Oh, man. All right, so I think that's unless you have any other comments or stuff you want to talk about from that interview, we can we can move on to our last segment, which is going to be talking about Adepticon expectations, hopes, goals, dreams, lists, whatever it is you want to talk about with Adepticon. I, I just want to say that uh, on the overall, after listening to what you had, the conversation you had with Reese, I feel a little bit better about ITC than I ever had because at first I was just like, "Fuck that shit! It's forty k shit!" Like, yeah, those are dicks. Um. But also, I think, like I said, what works for that doesn't mean it's going to work for us. And sure. I also think there are problems that are inherent in 40K, That's, yep. which is why I don't fucking play. Right, exactly. And I think that the more our two scenes come together, the more overlap in player base and the more it's going to end up being the same experience. And the more 40K and AOS scenes diverge, the better it's going to be because you have a choice between what experience you're looking for. Yeah, and I think that's when, like, just to go full circle, like, when 8th Ed crapped out. I didn't want to play AOS because it was so similar to 40K. And that's why I liked Fantasy, because it was hard for someone to go from one system to the other. Mm -hmm. Because it was, the whole style of game was so different. Right? Like, yeah. so... Those guys, like, there was a buffer zone between us and those superpower gamey 40k players that I did. I already have negative experiences with. Sure. Like, I mean, like, I used to go to game night at that place and play fantasy, and dudes would be like, oh, square bases, and, like, say shit, and I'd be like, I'd be like, yo, dude, you want to take this outside? <laughs> and then they always back down. I'm like, I don't even fucking know you. Why are you talking to me like that, bro? You got something to say. I'm like, I'm an adult. I'm a man. Yeah. Like, you're going <laughs> to... I'm, I'm playing with my be- war dollies. You're playing with your <laughs> yeah. war dollies. Yeah. We're but both like, doing just yeah, different war dollies. Yeah, but just don't talk shit to me. I don't even fucking know you, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think that'll taste in my mouth. So that's sure. why I've always avoided it. So Yeah, that makes sense. I do I think you're completely right. I'm really glad that I had that we had Reese on. And it's interesting to see how much of my opinion was from perception versus actually understanding what was going on. But also you see a lot of players coming over to AOS from 40K. And that says to me that they're looking for something different than 40K, and we should continue to explore those differences as opposed to trying to create the same experience. Yeah, and I, I would say that, like, the top-tier 40K painted stuff is, like, really incredible. It's awesome. But I also think that in a grim dark, like, I don't know... I don't want to match this system because there are so many incredible painters. It just feels like space marines are easy to paint. Yeah, but so and so so are like stormcast sig- sigmarines. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like when you look at like from my experience going to events, when you look at the vast majority, or you scan the room of like fantasy painted armies, mm-hmm. there are a lot more where you go, "Wow, look at that!" And then when you walk through, like when I walk through a forty k event it's like it's a lot less it's a lot less stuff grabbing my eye yeah i think well i think the bell curve looks different right like i think 40k you have people who need that three color minimum and in age of sigmar you have a lot less people who need that three color minimum right? the the average quality is probably higher and the the number of armies at the top end is is higher yeah 
Oh, no. Well, now that we've talked enough shit about 40K, let's talk about Adepticon. Hey, you know what I don't like? <laughs> 40K. Yeah. <laughs> but also, follow-up, you know what I don't like? What? 40K players. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, anyone who listens that plays 40K, before you sign off right now, I'm selling my Adeptus Mechanicus army. I <laughs> know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, no, fun. No. Yeah, if you play both, you need to pick a side. Yeah, I know. Eighth, eighth edition 40k is a lot of fun until you play it with people who play 40k. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sure. That's an yeah, asshole. I am, yeah. The game sucks. All right, let's try this transition for the third time. Let's talk about Adepticon. I mean, I'm pretty sure Frank Herbert, every time he sees a 40k player, is rolling <laughs> in his grave. He's like, you took my novel and turned it into this? Look at these fucking neck-bearded douchebags, liberals. That kid in the MAGA hat at uh, LVO. Oh, he, that I guy. Dice at him, but there's too many models around. Like, it's someone's hobby. Oh my god. Anyway, Frank Herbert probably loved him. Anyway, I mean that seriously. The guys like really talk shit about liberals in his books. I'm like, dude, I don't even. Is this Donald Trump wrote this? <laughs> oh god. I'm just kidding. I've never read any of Frank Herbert's books. You liar! <laughs> it's like your Bible. Leave me you, alone. you go to you go to hotels and leave a copy of Dune in the nightstand. <laughs> oh man, awesome! So, are we off track? Ah, we're doing great. Let's talk some more about 40k and hating people. All right. You know who I really don't like? 40k players. <laughs> no, 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 no. Kids who wear MAGA hats and play 40k. <laughs> why was that guy there? Why would you do? Why are you like this? Who hurt you? I don't understand, bro. Like, like what? You just weren't edgy enough to wear a screwdriver t-shirt? Like, <laughs> I hate you. I don't know that reference. I knew it's something about like a skinhead metal band. Yeah, they're a Nazi punk band. There we go. There you go. All right. All right. So anyway. do you want to, do you want to play that game where you you name a metal band and I tell you if it's real or fake? <laughs> oh yeah, let's do that. Hang on. All right, let's go. I just scroll through my thing, so it looks like I'm looking at band names. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, hmm. Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza. That is a band. Um. Oh, there's so many good ones here. Cruel Hand. Fake. Real. Damn it. <laughs> uh, a day to forget. That's real. No, fake. It's a day to Damn remember. It. Yeah. <laughs> that band sucks. The Dillinger Escape Plan. Real. Yeah, you got one. Ding, 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 I... ding, ding. All right. Dying Fetus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that should not be funny. Uh, fake. Real. Damn it. Uh... Leftover crack. Real? Yeah, it's a punk band. Yeah. Um. Ghost outside. I think that's fake because it's the ghost inside. Hey, you knew that. Hell yeah! <laughs> you knew that. God dethroned. Definitely real. Yep. Uh, A2O. Fake? Real. Hang the Bastard. Oh, that's real. Yeah, Ben rules. <laughs> House vs. Hurricane. 
That's got to be fake. It's real. It's an Australian <laughs> band. Um, I hate Sally. That's going to be fake because it's something like I love Sally. No, it's real. I hate Sally. Um, I think it, everyone's turned it, off the show by this one. It dies today. It's going to be fake. So it's going to be like it dies tomorrow. No, it's real. Jesus yeah. peace. <laughs> That's real. Yeah, they're awesome. All right. I'm just promoting mad bands right now. Uh, Malice at the Palace. Damn, I like that. That's that's real. That's real, yeah. I love That's the best basketball fight of all time. <laughs> Malice <laughs> at the Palace? I thought that was the name of the worst uh, 40K, or the, the worst old fantasy book ever. No. Malice at the Palace. No, Malice at the Palace is when uh, Ron Artest like fought like 10 fans. Oh, I nice. think it was like the Clipper. Was it the Pacers and the Clippers? I remember. I'm not a big basketball guy, but it, they fucking beat the shit out of like eight fans. They're just fighting everyone. Oh, God. It was excellent. Yeah. All right. All right well, that's so all Adepticon. for our show. Adepticon. Adepticon. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so Joe, what are you, what are you, what's your new list for Adepticon? What are you expecting? What are you hoping? What are your dreams, expectations, realities? All right. My goal is to go three and two. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, buddy. Uh-oh. I'm setting s- some goals. <laughs> I'm swinging the fences. Yeah, buddy. Let me see if I can open it. My list. Wow, there's a lot of fucking weird shit on this iPad. Who's got koala porn open? Leave me alone, dude. They have smooth brains. <laughs> okay, so this is my list, bro. I'm going to just do it from memory. Aspect of the storm, general. Yep. Not storm. C. Wow. I already fucked it up. Can we restart? <laughs> you go Just first. edit it out. You go first. Edit that out, Clint. <laughs> All right. Uh, so. I mean, I'm uh, sure I'll go first. I'm running the same list I've been running. Oh, nice. I've got uh, the Eva, or the Arcanum on Dracoline, and she's got the ability that gives plus one to save. She's got staunch defender. Like it's a smart choice. Uh, and she's got the cat trait that lets her add one to hit rolls for friendly Dracoline units within wholly within nine. So she is always hitting on a two instead of a three. And she can buff up my unit of six cats. That's I've got good. ten sequiturs. i got five sequiturs. i got five judicators. Uh, I've got ten evocators on foot with five and five of each weapon type. And I've got six evocators on cats with four of the, the double hand weapon and two with the grand staves. Oh, cool. Just having a little bit of, of that in there. It's got to be hard to ride one of those cats while using two weapons. Yeah, it seems difficult. I imagine the cat gets in and like like slams in on the charge, and at that point they're only holding one weapon. And then when it starts pawing and clawing, and they're not like running around as much, they can dual wield a lot better. And for those of you at home who can't see this, I'm raving really te- really technically with a lot of skill. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That system is down. The system is down. Uh, please don't start with Homestar Runner shit. Anyway. Um... Dot com. All right. So <laughs> um, I've got some support characters in there. i got the, the Castellant, and I've got the Relictor, who you know can teleport one of my slow units. I've thought about taking the Relictor out and putting in the Heralder to give me run in charge. Um, I haven't made a decision, so I don't need to make a decision for three more weeks. They're both painted. We'll see which one I want to do. Yeah, you can just bring and, it, bring it to the tournament. Yeah, might like, as well. 
not tell anyone and just print out two sets of lists. Or just play both of them on the table and change my name to Dawn. Yeah. Yep. Or just go play 40k at that point. Uh, all right. So, yeah, my list is pretty straightforward. I like to charge with the cats. I like to take charges with the sequiturs and evocators. And outside of getting just completely outnumbered, I think I stand a good shot in a lot of games. I even even when I am outnumbered severely, I can I can grind pretty well compared to most. So I think I'm in halfway decent shape. Well, dude. Yep. I, I think three and two is a reasonable expectation. I'd like to go four and one, but you know, if it happens and I get good matchups, awesome. And if I don't, it happens. I'm there yeah. to get drinks. No, yeah, I'm there to go and hang out and have a good time. So. My real goal is that we're gonna when we have Rob and Nathan from the Honest Wargamer on. I want to beat their asses at the newlywed game because we're going to play the newlywed game and see how well they know each other and see how well you and I know each other. And they're, we're going to whoop them. They're going to lose. I don't they're even. So I, bad. I, I, I feel like, to be honest, Rob doesn't want to be on our show. And he just said yes because he's such a nice guy. I, look, I'll take I'll take any celebrity guest we can get, whether they want to be on our show or not. <laughs> we did it with Reese. We're gonna we did it with Jaco. We're doing it with Rob. Yeah, who's next? Oh, when we go to Australia, we'll have uh, all the dwellers. I want Sam Morgan, and then we can shout out <laughs> Sam Morgan who can make the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's gonna be so much. Because if fun. he was on the show, you know, it would just be me and him talking about Super Smash Brothers for like an hour and a half. My my plan is to. <laughs> just call everyone by the wrong name the whole time. <laughs> anyway, we should, call, we should just decide to change his name to Stan Morgan, Stan. or only only speak him in haiku. That uh, would be fun. I can't do that, dude. I don't know how to count to five, then seven, then five again. You remembered it. That's the first step. <laughs> All right. So, um, my list is the aspect of the sea. He's my general. Okay. He's got the sword of judgment because I'm okay. in the realm of shadow. I'm running okay. Iron Rock. Because I'm going to take some allies. And also, you get uh, plus one to cast. And I'm bind as an Iron Rock wizard. Really good. Yeah, so it's like, okay, ask me the storm. I'm taking a tie caster and a soul scryer. Okay. Those are my heroes. And then a unit of 30 Namarty thralls, two units of 10, a unit mm-hmm. of six eels. And my allies will be 10 evocators on foot. Nice. And that's that's my list, I think. I think that's 2,000 points. It's pretty solid. So you're having the aspect of the sea. No, Storm. Having sea. Having him. Aspect of the sea. He's the casty one. Yeah. You're going to give him the Sword of Judgment, and you're going to put, are you going to put that on the fishies? Yeah, why wouldn't I? So the fish get attack and just tear up any hero that they get in combat with? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Not going to lie. I like that idea a lot. How many ways do you have in your army to debuff bravery? Okay, okay. so... That was the point with this list was to debuff not just bravery, mm-hmm. but to debuff um, heroes mi- minus ones to hit. Right. So yeah. I was going to originally run my uh, uh, aspect of the sea with the forgotten nightmare or nightmare. Something that's is that the one that's minus two bravery within uh, range? It's minus one bravery within twelve. Okay. And then he's taking tide of fear and tsunami of terror is his base okay. spell. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I could just like make you minus bravery if I'm nearby, and also minus two to hit. Yeah. And then also the tie caster has an 18 inch range spell that is minus one to hit, but not bravery. Not bravery. Minus one to hit, and then the next turn does D3 mortal wounds. Okay. But I was thinking with the Marty, since they suck at taking a punch so bad, 
it's yeah. probably worth it to when you invest your Namardi against someone to make it really hard for them to hit you. Yeah, and then, I think it's a good idea. And then also, like, putting them at minus two bravery is really fucking good too, right? Yeah, definitely. So the reason I ask is in building some Skaven lists, there's a, there's a good number of ways to debuff bravery in the Skaven book. And there's a hero who's just begging for the Sword of Judgment, the Vermin Lord Corruptor. He gets 10 attack space, and his attack sucks, but he can. his command ability is you pick a, a Pestilence unit, they get to reroll hit rolls. doesn't say failed hit rolls, just reroll hit rolls. So if you give him 10 attacks with the Sword of Judgment... Oh, you reroll and all you re-roll your... Anything that's not five. a six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's pretty cool, right? And then there's an item... There's another item in the book that you pick a unit of yours... It gets plus one to hit and plus one to charge. So you actually get the, the D6 damage <laughs> on heroes and monsters on, on a five, five or and six. Oh my yeah. god. Which is cool. And on natural is he also just does an additional mortal wound, which is neat. But there's another there's another realm item that I've been thinking about instead of the Sword of Judgment. And I'm afraid to reveal it because I don't want everyone to steal my idea. I'm just gonna say it. We have five listeners and none of them are gonna use it. It's called the Banshee Blade. And what it does is, on a 6 or more to hit, you roll 2d6 against the target unit's bravery. If you beat it, it does d3 mortal wounds. Now, d3, not as good as d6, but it doesn't have the limitation of going against a hero or monster. And, so, if you take all those fishies, right, you you get your prayer off where you get to reroll hits. Oh, so you're looking sixes. If you can debuff their bravery enough, it might make sense to go for the Banshee Blade. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's a fun idea. I think that's pretty good on uh, on him, especially if I take Nightmare Re- Legacy still. Yeah, if you take Nightmare Legacy, automatic minus one, you get off one of your two spells, it's minus two. It doesn't say you have to beat their bravery. It says if you match or beat their bravery. That's pretty de- nasty. It is. Now, in is Skaven, it base so- bravery or cumulative bravery oh, it counts with the with the the minuses that's pretty fucking nasty it is now here's the one thing is skaven have a way to reliably get minus two automatically and then you can get one or two more debuffs on to get them at minus three or minus four minus three means you're actually rolling better than even dice even against uh like a brave 10 death demons and like seraphim right and yeah. Death and demons are prevalent enough that you need... Like, yet you're basically rolling for a 7 or better. Being only at minus 2, you're rolling for an 8 or better, which is not... It's not even money. You're, you're looking at, like, a 35-45% chance of beating it. So I don't know how worth it it is. It can't get those extra consistent debuffs. I don't know if there's other ways you can get it in the book. It's also probably a dumb corner case build. But I thought I would mention it. That's pretty nasty. Yeah. Running the numbers, if you get if you get all the stuff off, uh, you're looking at like 12 to 15 mortal wounds a turn with the Vermin Lord Corruptor. But he gets 10 attacks. He can get the plus one, so it's fives and sixes, and sixes do one extra mortal wound, and then you're rolling against bravery. But like, imagine going against someone as a brave five or six. You just have to not hit snake eyes, and you're doing D3 mortals. Ugh. Yeah, it's nasty. That's pretty. It's good. really nasty. I think it'd be great. If you could figure out a way to do Skaven allied with, like, Feck, for example. Yeah. 
because uh, don't the terror guys give out minus two bravery? Uh, it's a like a amount trait. Oh, trait. It's, okay. it's command trait. It's command trait. That but, gives out minus two bravery. Yeah, demons within six. Fine, you go in there and I'll follow. <laughs> no, but I was thinking if we play that team tournament again, we do that, and then I just take nothing but the the crypt flares. Mm-hmm. So you're screaming at them, and I'm carving ah! with. Oh, right, and also your your players are screaming at their models. Yeah, that's pretty fucking brutal. Yeah, that'd be nasty. Oh, man. I'm sure we'd make a lot of friends. And then what's crazy about that, too, is like, all right, cool, you did 15 mortal wounds. Now they're also at minus three bravery for when Battleshock hits. Yeah. That can be mitigated by just spending a command point, but still. Not if you kill their hero first. I, it's definitely less reliable than Sword of Judgment. And the Sword of Judgment, I think, is a good answer to having to come up against Nagash or like your ethereal amulet vampire lord on Zombie Dragon. Some of the stuff that's just really hard to kill. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I think I think I'm still gonna run the sword, storm of judgment, the sword of judgment, and just be like, "Fuck it, YOLO." For sure, I thought I would bring it up though. It's a fun, it's a fun item I noticed, and it's in the same realm as the ethereal amulet, so it works if you're trying to take two strong realm artifacts. Yeah, that's good to know. All right. I can only take one artifact in my list because I can. Never oh get yeah, because you can't ever get a battalion. So. See, reasons Skaven are spoiled. So yeah, that's yeah. that. That's the plan. Go to Adepticon. Um, Get nice and drunk. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea where the hotel Tony and Joe are staying in, so I don't know if I'm staying in that hotel or... Do you want me to just get us a room? Uh, the... We're not going to get in the one at the, the venue, right? So No, but there's the one like right on the other side of the, of the lake. All right, whatever. Do we have to Uber across or we're going to walk it? No, you just walk it. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. One thing I do want to do at Adepticon is I want to give out a lot of t-shirts. And we're going to be we're doing a second round of t-shirts. If you want a t-shirt, let us know via Twitter or Gmail. We have an email via Gmail. And let us know your size. It's going to be $8 for anything up to an XL. Double XL is going to be $10. And the triple X and above, I think, is $12. So let me know if you want a shirt. You can reach us at of Sigmar on Twitter. And our Gmail is rageofsigmarpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. So I think it's a good point to just fucking end this episode. Yeah, we've been sort of stretching for content since we started. Oh, my God. I really hate you. I'm so fucking tired. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. This is our final episode of the Rage of Sigmar podcast. We'll be back again never because we don't like each other or talking about Warhammer. Yeah. Um our next episode will be us drunk at Adepticon, kind of like our last episode that no one downloaded. So <laughs> um, prepare for yourself for disappointment. Yep. As always, keep it ragey and don't expect anything good from us. And uh, say perhaps to drugs. You got me right where you